looking at you, kid. I'm Charles Foster King! Hey, Stella! Suck on this. I really don't know about this digital de-aging. It does something with the eyes, and there's just a lot, and it just doesn't look real, and Uh-oh. there's just a lot more work to do. What's going to happen is, is he's going to fucking say, this shit doesn't look real. I'm going to recast the movie, and they're just... Oh, my God. That, I don't, that, that, that's the only way out of it, dude. Oh, my God. Then it'd without be like, making it, like without making year and it and a look half. stupid. It's that, never coming out. No, but the I movie's never coming Oh yeah, well, my understanding is it's coming out this fall. But uh, that's my understanding. When we went, are we recording? (laughs) We are recording. Yeah. Oh well, forget it. Can't (laughs) can't talk anymore about it. All right. Well, on that note, I'm going to let this sucker rip. What is going on, everybody? This is Wrong Real episode 467. It's a podcast for hardcore cinephiles where we tackle everything from Jean-Luc Godard to Jean-Luc Picard, or as John Cribbs said, everything from Captain Kirk to Douglas Sirk, which I think is uh, equally appropriate. But today we got two of my favorite people on the planet, two of the biggest cinephiles in New York, Marcus Penn from Pinland Empire, and now producer Rob Cotto. Good and evening. we're drinking Hello. a little booze, we're drinking a little singamalt on a rainy day here in New York, and we're going to be talking about the life and the career of Seymour Cassell, who passed away, what, two months ago, or? Was it even? Because it was in May, begin, or was it April? I just know that he's gone, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, it was two you know, it was two. It was with the last couple months though. Yeah. Well, is that a, he had a remarkable career and a yeah. remarkable life, and we'll be getting to all the above. But before we do, I want to catch up with these guys and hear what they've been doing. So Marcus, catch us up. What's been happening? Uh what's been happening? Just uh constantly <coughs> excuse me, constantly uh writing Pinland Empire stuff, um podcasting everywhere, uh beside my own, you know, zebras. I'm doing quite a few I'm doing some stuff with uh the We Cut Heads podcast. Um nice. it used to be the Kurosawa themed uh but then they stopped and now they're uh it's the same people uh spencer and joel shout out to them it's at we cut heads uh pod now they're doing a spike lee um uh podcast i just finished recording an episode on the sweet blood of jesus which is one of those movies that like i really i'm like one of its few defenders uh i, I brought it yeah. up on the episode that i recorded yeah. with adam howard so oh nice yeah nice. i saw it per nice. your recommendation yeah it's 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 not it's not some like masterpiece but it isn't terrible like so many people have you know it's called not she it. hate me no, which my first appearance, if you're listening, go listen to my very first appearance on that show because I, I trashed She Hate Me for like two hours. I felt like I didn't give them any chance to speak. It was just me going. Um, I'm always doing stuff with uh, Mr. Bradley Cornish. Actually, a couple of weeks ago, just on the fly, I got out of work earlier than I thought, and we were just DMing each other, and he was just like, do you want to do a podcast about Dreyer's Vampire? And I was like, yeah, sure. And we just kind of, the last couple of podcasts me and Bradley have done were just like, you want to do a podcast on Twin Peaks season three, or you want to do a podcast? So when are y'all going to tackle Too Old like, to Die Young? Because I saw he's also a big fan of it. Uh, I'm sure we will, unless. Uh, well, I guess you've already you've already started it. Um, I actually didn't know that it had come out, and then I saw your uh, your review, and I read. I mean, I knew I was already going to like it, but I checked that out. I watched that, and then I'm 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 up to episode ten now. Um, I'm trying to take my time. I even went back and rewatched a couple of, of episodes because like episode, nothing happens. Episode five, you have to rewatch. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And then and yeah, man, I, I got to give it up to John Hawks. It's like he's really good at kind of being like a somewhat tough, intimidating guy, which is weird to say. And you know, shout out to his character who has kidney disease uh, in in <laughs> on, on the show. So I'm always partial to that. Um, Jenna Malone's great. Everybody is, is by is virtue great of his on, kidney on disease. Show. Does it enter your top five or top ten kidney-related stories on the big already, or small screen? Already, yeah, Very nice. already. And it's this is going to be one of those. I already know when I do my end of the year thing, I may include this. I may make an exception because every episode is either ninety minutes or like seventy-five minutes. So each episode is kind of like a movie. 
so I know that irritates some people, but to me, this is like a cinematic experience. I I, I didn't. Well, it's like Twin Peaks in Return. It. it like doubled suddenly the entire length of David Lynch's filmography in one fell swoop, and I yeah. feel like Too Old to Die Young has kind of done that, where you've got nine episodes that are basically individual feature films, and then a short film at the very end. But suddenly, Nicholas Winding Refn's whole filmography just seems gargantuan with the yeah. addition of this show. And 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 <clears throat> I will say, as much as I love it. If you love like Only God Forgives and like Neon Demon, this is the ref in you're getting, and it's like turned up to you know eleven. So it's not drive exactly. Although Miles Teller does a lot of like standing and posing, just like Ryan He's Gosling does. He's trying real does hard it. to be Gosling. I'm like, you know what? You're yeah. not Gosling. Although yeah. I will admit this, I've talked a lot of shit about Miles Teller on this podcast from time to time because I think he's a total douchebag. But a lot however, of people have. You're not a. It's, it's however, not, I will give credit where credit is any actors want to put their reputation on the line and play a pretty dark character like this yeah i have to give credit where credit is due so i'm not going to apologize for all the shit that i've talked about him however i will acknowledge he's got good taste in directors at a bare minimum yeah. by virtue of being cast in the show and i've and you know before I'll, I'll i'll let rob take it but before you know i just want to say i've been <clears throat> sp- spreading out my the writing on pill and empire and i've been like jotting down lines notes sentences <clears throat> excuse me paragraphs on too old to die young and i may do like a a lengthy thing for it down down the road. I want to take my time. Like I've been doing, I've been doing a lot of comparisons. Something goes up on Pill and Empire once a week, no question. Are you gonna call attention to the scene where James oh, no. Urbaniak says, "I really need to see your cop." Oh my gosh, <laughs> that whole opening was. Oh my gosh, as he's leaving the room, he's like, "All right, boys, do whatever." I'm not gonna say what it is. That's but, what um, prompted Collider to say, "With Nichols, when you're and off, ought to know better." In their yeah. review, I was like, "You know uh, what? Whatever." But you can say you love it, you can say you hate it, you can say you're indifferent, but don't tell directors they ought to know better. It just makes you sound like an old lady. But yeah, I, I've been really happy with the the written stuff I've been doing this year more than any year because I've been I've been taking my time, and it's on random stuff, even even movies I don't like. Like I recently wrote uh, a thing on the Dead Don't Die a couple weeks before it came out. I was really happy with that. The thing I wrote about Velvet Buzzsaw, I think that's like one of my, one of my favorite things I've actually written. And I well, that movie I actually enjoyed that movie kind of. I didn't like hate it or love it but it was fine so yeah go check out some of my writing um i'm sitting on some stuff for the favorite uh i'm seeing the mountain soon so i'm definitely i write about all of rick alverson's movies i think he's one of the three best american filmmakers working right now along with right cart and link letter um so yeah so that's that so rob beautiful mishikata what's been happening i know you've got stuff you cannot talk about but what can you tell us about nothing <laughs> well i will just say what people have already heard yes. on wrong reel is that you and bill tech and bill scurry have been working together which is super cool yeah no it's great i'm uh all i can say is that uh i'm producing a documentary about rock and roll that's uh being directed by mr bill tech that's and, all I need to know. And, and we're off to the races. And it's and it's going to be a hell of a picture. And I'm real excited to share it with everybody when we can uh, when we can share more. But it's been a tremendous experience the last six months. Now Plus, when y'all walk home with an Oscar or an Emmy or an Independent Spirit or whatever, 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 whatever y'all get, are you going to mail or at least send a picture of it to Alex Ross Perry? Absolutely. Tell him, to choke, him. Him, tell him to choke himself. I want to invite. I have a guest list <laughs> no, of people you have to I want to. You're sitting on the toilet, like holding it yeah, or something like, like that. Yeah, just like, yo, this is for you. Yeah. Say, well, I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's. Oh, it's, it's, that's what you have to say if you ever admit, like, well, I'm busy. Yeah. I can't <laughs> shake your head like I'm past. I'm busy. If, I'm he ever, busy. if he ever pitches you on some other pretentious pile of garbage that he wants to direct, yeah. that'll be your response. No, I'm busy. It's the greatest thing in old school when the Asian girl, she wants to talk to Jeremy Piven, he has the, the soda. It's like, what do you want? I'm a little busy. Like, that's what you have to do like that. 
but yeah, no, it's it's it, you know it's funny. You, you people want to know what we're talking about. What episode did you describe this story in the past? I can't remember what, what podcast was that. You, Marcus was because I was here. Yeah, we were, were talking here. about Kim's. Was it the New York Film Festival? One? Yes, it was, was the New York it? Film Festival yes. one. Okay. Yeah, because okay. he, yeah, because we were here. We were right and, in this room, and because yeah. he was out. You know, he had a movie there too, and he was you know walking around there and. Anyway, it's a, an episode well but, and it's to, funny, I've, if you want I've, the full anecdote. And I've garnered some notoriety for being, <laughs> you know, this Alex Ross Perry hater. I wish that it would increase my followers on Twitter. You know, I'm like treading it like 480. Or to, you know? or to bare minimum, increase the number of haters for Alex Ross Perry out there. Yeah, no, I mean, I would love to do that. But um, but yeah, no, no. So this thing, this thing. It's funny you mentioned, you know, winning an Oscar or an Emmy or a Grammy. You know what? I, for, I, I've learned that through this experience, all the fun has really just been in making it, you know? So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with it. But I mean, we have an incredible cast of characters in this thing. And even though I, you know, I'm really not going to talk about it and let Bill talk about it when he's ready. But, um, all in all, it's been a tremendous experience. It's been great working with Bill and it wouldn't have happened had I never came on here and started talking about Scorsese and everybody else and it wouldn't have happened if was Marcus wasn't first, my boy. Was that your first or was Sidney yeah. Lumet your first? No, 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 no. Marty was, was my first. I guess, I guess I met you at Marcus's birthday we party had met a year before. two years ago, I believe. Yeah. When well, I met Sierra Keys. <laughs> oh, at my, oh, at the Park Slope apartment. M. Sierra. Oh, man, yeah. But yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I waited about a year before I came, after we had met, before I came on. It wasn't until I had mentioned that I thought that Scorsese was the greatest living filmmaker that night at Trivia that you were like, oh, well, you should come on the show and talk about it. Because yeah, we hadn't done it at Scorsese yet. What do you think of the Bob Dylan doc? Loved it. Loved it. I think it's... It, did you it, watch my review on YouTube? I did. Very nice. I did. And I... Uh, right after I saw it, actually. And, I, and, 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 and a lot has changed... Since, you know, since seeing it and coming, like certain also, things got, have come I got, out. I got fooled by a lot of the bullshit. You and did. Thought, and thought it was genuine. And I didn't. And 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 you know what? And that's what's what's brilliant about the movie. Like I caught the Tanner eighty eight one. It's like, oh, because I'd seen Tanner eighty eight totally. And that's yeah. when it clicked in my head. I was like, wait a minute, this is bullshit. But for but for everybody else to be kind of bullshit was like, oh my god. And so, how much of it is genuine? Just the concert footage. Gotcha. So the rest is all just a heap of a tissue of lies. Most of it. I, I don't think Dylan's the Joan inter- Baez stuff is, but and I, and then certainly the archival interviews aren't. But the way that Scorsese was able to construct. What are the interviews with the guy who shot the footage? Who claimed that he taught Bob Dylan how to hold a cigarette? That that's way? Bette Midler's husband. He's an actor. Wow. Yeah, it's incredible. And he and I actually tweeted it the other day. I put for your consideration best supporting actor Martin von Halsberg or whatever because he's so great in it and it's hysterical. And I don't think Dylan's acting or lying because Dylan's like, oh, it's just I don't remember any of it. It's a pile of ashes. Like he just kind of like disregards that whole period. No, right. And then he goes and tells us, you know, this story. And 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 it's funny, you know, a lot of people. I mean. Netflix positioned it as a documentary, and in a way it is because it's a concert film. But if you look at the poster and you look at how they bill it, it's not billed as a documentary. They don't say that it's a documentary on Netflix. The poster says, A Bob Dylan Story by Martin Scorsese. And Dylan, especially during that period, had been all about 
masks and not letting people in and and very much just the white face and the outfits and yeah. right and but just even even before that even during the don't look back period and you know where he where he doesn't tell you the truth he's never told you the truth even in his songs as great and as poetic as they are have all been riddled with a tinge of like mystery and you know, question, and it, it, I mean, it, it's what makes Bob Bob Dylan. And what was so great about this was it wasn't this straight. It turned out not to be this head-on document. You know, the only stuff. Yeah, so plenty. I think of people it. are digging it. It's the only video I've ever posted on YouTube ever that had zero dislikes. I was like, all right, well, either everybody out there really loves it, or they like me. They got taken in by the lies and they enjoyed the lies, etc. But I think people are having a really positive, warm response. And I just love the fact that Netflix and Amazon and all these platforms are creating a home for directors like Nicholas Winning Refn and Martin Scorsese. Like when you see Hollywood, like you know, big budget Hollywood movies doing these quote unquote like four quadrant movies that are designed to be all things for all people and end up being nothing for anyone in particular and you're seeing these movies underperform or flop outright. It's been kind of a demoralizing movie in terms of demoralizing summer in terms of mainstream Hollywood. But when I see these platforms like Netflix and Amazon creating all these opportunities for these really distinctive, idiosyncratic, iconoclastic voices, I'm like, Fuck yeah, like great storytelling is going to continue just on the small screen instead of the big screen. And I don't like going to the movie theater anyway because everybody's on their fucking phones and they make me have a heart attack. I went out in Richmond last week with my family, went to see Rocket Man. And there's this old lady and I started just losing my fucking mind, but she couldn't figure out how to turn off her phone. She was like, you know, like beating it and right. hitting it. And I'm just like, fuck going to the movie theater. Like, you know, there's fucking mice running around and it's just, uh, yeah, people talking and the whole theater experience is starting to really suck for me. Yeah. What'd you think of Rocket Man? Uh, to quote Rob Cotto, it's fine. I, and you know what? Honestly, honestly, that's my review of it. It's fine. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and bash it like Bohemian Rhapsody because it's definitely not that. But what I dislike is seeing cool classic rock and roll tunes turned into Broadway show tunes. I don't like here, like, like Mamma Mia, this garbage musical where they take great tunes by ABBA and turn them into Broadway musical show tunes where you have a hundred people singing and dancing. It's like, all right, well now it's, you have taken something awesome and made it really bland and generic mm -hmm. and I, I don't like that the transformation of the Elton John songs into something other than what they originally were. Well, and like Bohemian Rhapsody, I mean, these songs are nothing but just a big commercial for the music and for the artists and trying to maintain this legacy. And, you know, we could sit here and talk about all the stuff that they admittedly, like upfront factually got wrong about Elton John and, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, this is just, all part of the bigger machine of the the superhero. It's like the next superhero genre movie is these biopics of these yeah. rock stars. Yeah, you know, well, and it's because Bohemian Rhapsody grossed what like nine hundred million dollars. I mean, when musicals are making nine hundred million dollars, guess what? You're going to see a lot more of them. <laughs> but you know what? The, like, I don't want to see the Billy Joel biopic, like him drunk riding on his motorcycle. Like, I don't need to see that. Or, or. You know, I appreciate what I what I appreciated the most about the Elton movie is that it. It, is that it tried to not just be a straight on biopic. It just, you know, it tried to be something different. That being said, it, it's, you know, I don't, you know, like Springsteen has this, um, this blind by the light thing coming out. That's going to utilize his music in a different setting. That's not quite biopic. That's not a biopic. It's a coming of age story for a young Indian boy in London. And it was a big hit, I guess at either Sundance or, 
South by Southwest, and like I'm okay with them experimenting with an artist's music. And, what about Danny Boyle with Yesterday coming out next week? See, I think that I, you know what though, that's got good people behind it. Like I, I appreciate what Danny Boyle does, and I appreciate what Richard Curtis does with with an ensemble and his writing. Like you know, I'm a big fan of Love Actually. Like contrary to how corny that may sound, but like that's a really really good movie. You know, so. most people like Love Actually. No, it got prejudged no, 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 when no, no, it no. first came out. I think it's so sugary sweet it might give you diabetes, and my whole family adores it. And every Christmas, oh, my whole family oh, watches it, I mean? and they hate me because I don't like buy, I don't drink the Kool Aid. Like, well, you're just a snob. I'm like, well, first and foremost, I see more mainstream movies than everyone else in the family sure, combined. Sure, sure. So you can't call me a snob because I see all the garbage, but. I'm not required to like Love Actually because y'all think it's cute. And that's my problem. I don't like movies that are cute. Unless yeah. it's Gremlins. Gremlins is cute. See, my thing is, it was more the fact that it was R. I never paid attention it was rated R. It's all the, like, not cute stuff in that movie. I was like, oh, I didn't know this movie was going to do that. But, yeah. Like, but- like certain things about Love Actually that I absolutely love. Like, the whole story with Laura Linney and her brother and her crushing after that dude who actually turns out to really dig her. Mm-hmm. You know, and she blows that. And to me, like, that's just a really good story. Or... Or the, or the fact that this, you know, this British dude flies to America and winds up hooking up with the hottest right. American women ever. That shit's a true story. <laughs> that that happens. Any British person who comes to America ever <laughs> you know? with that accent, they could basically rob the whole country blind. You know? in and then they days. bring Shannon and Elizabeth back to London. like, Or no, not Shannon Elizabeth. Um, what's her face? Charlie, Mrs. Charlie Sheen. Denise Richards. You know, oh, she Denise gets Richards, like, right, it's right. unbelievable. Like, my goodness. Yeah. Dreams come true. <laughs> Boy, do that. <laughs> You know, so, so yeah, so um, well, let's yeah, switch no, gears. Man, I dig love yeah. actually. All right, well, Seymour Cassell, late 50s, early 60s, both as crew and as kind of unlisted cast, he's there from the early days with Mr. Cassavetes. And Marcus, I know you are Cassavetes fan and know a lot of his history, yeah, well, so. just as much as just as much as Rob. I so, think we both e- were equal on that, but for people who are not necessarily up to speed with early Cassavetes. Bring us into the beginning part of this story. How do Seymour Cassell and John Cassavetes first hook up? Because obviously I feel like C- Cassell's career comes in various stages, but it's impossible not to talk about Cassavetes in the same conversation because they, what, they collaborated, what, seven times or something like that? Uh, f- well, f- four or five. I thought... Had, well, oh, five, because I count, I count, I count shadows because... Because he, he got he, Faces, Shadows, Love Streams, Opening Night, Too Late Blues, Minnie Moskowitz, and Killing with a Chinese Bookie. Oh, yeah. Wait... He's in opening night. That's what it says on. Right. That's what it says on the he's, IMDb he's trivia. He's in a cameo at the end. Oh, that's why I'm. See the right. thing. Okay, so then yeah, yeah. So a couple things before I, you know, if you don't mind. Good. Um, if I may, Marcus and I. When Marcus and I first met, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when Marcus and I first met in a video store in Connecticut, where he was working and I was running porn, uh, <laughs> that we. We had bonded on on Cassavetti's write off, so I definitely think that that was the- Steve, uh, the manager there. He gave me <clears throat> a Seymour Cassell movie. He gave me a copy of Love Streams for free because they had this rule at the video store: like if something hadn't been rented in over a year, because this this was two thousand five, so the signs of video stores dying were already. It was written yeah, on the was, you know the there. writing was on the wall. So if and this was a VHS, it wasn't even a DVD. So Big of course box. nobody. Yeah, I still have it too. And then um, we used that. We copied that. You had came in and then something, something. I was like, yeah, Steve, Gay, I got a copy of Love Streams for free. And, and then you were like, you got a copy of Love Streams for free. And then that's when it kind of yeah know, yeah. 
That's so, literally how it's, yeah, the movie Love Streams, the Seymour Cassell movie. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we bonded on that right off. Um, but the thing about the thing about John Cassavetes and Seymour Cassell is that, you know, if John Cassavetes is the god of independent film, then Seymour Cassell is an apostle. You know, he was there right from the word go. Shadows. With shadows. And even before that, you know, Cassell, you know, Cassell was one of these actors that, you know, he studied with Stella Adler. He was, you know, in the New York scene, you know, trying to be just, you know, like. Which is oh, how they met. Which is how they he met. He came from, born in Detroit, but Seymour, a young, really young, he came to New York City to to want to act. And, you know, he, you know, John had had. A little bit of success with you know his TV work. I believe he was in at this point. He was in Edge of the City and and there was Johnny Staccato. Yeah, Johnny Staccato. Yeah, yeah. yeah before and again the, right. that was the the show. Yeah. Um. So they, you know, Seymour, you know, basically, you know, kind of mentored or apprenticed under him in a way where he came in and he was like, you know, they they, they got to know each other and. Through, through acting classes and whatnot, and John Cassavetes turned around and said, well, hey, I'm going to shoot this movie around the corner, and Seymour was like, well, can I come and observe? And from that moment on, Seymour was was with John all, you know, all the way through. Yeah, check out uh, A Constant Forge. It's in that John Cassavetes yeah. uh, box set. It's technically six movies because it's five movies, some of which star Seymour Cassell. And then the sixth disc is this like really long documentary? <clears throat> Everyone from Le- Leila Goldoni, another day one Casavetis person, uh, Seymour Cassell, Tom Noonan, who had a super small role in Gloria. He's one of the hoods uh, in Gloria. That's funny, I didn't know but, that. But they they were very close. I met Tom Noonan. I bumped into Scurry actually about a uh, month ago, and I was talking to uh, at the Q and the Q and A at Tom Noonan's movie for the wife turned kind of as a lot of Q and As do, just turned into a conversation between me and him. And I quoted John Cassavetes, and he was just like, me and him, we, he was like, we, we were friends, we were very close. And I was like, I know, you were in that documentary, Constant Forge, and then, like, we locked eyes, and then we were just kind of like, you know, yeah. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, no, so, so you know, Cassell was there from the ground running, but the also interesting thing about Cassell was, you know, he, he might have been an actor, and we might have all known him as an actor, but he also, you know, was, was a craftsman. And he 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 wasn't above, you know, being a second cameraman or or, or you know or or being just part of the crew. He yeah. was he was in it. If you had him there, he was there. And he was in 1968 or 69. He was actually working with Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda when they were shooting Easy Rider, and basically was like second cameraman for them yeah. and hung out with all those dudes. So he, in a way was you know kind of it is kind of like this unsung trailblazer of independent film what are you gonna sell us this time harry money actually it's a very good film we call it the uh dolce vita of the commercial field we were trying to capture several approaches and we came up with an impressionistic document that shocks is that so i don't think it's so much shocks as it's honest it's honest but it's a good piece in itself so you see, we're a, a, a little nervous about hitting you with this. Oh, now they've got nothing to be nervous about. It's a shot in the dark, but it's strong and it's attractive. Yeah, it better be better than the last one, Harry. Wait, let's see it, JP. I'd rather hear him talk about it. We'll again. talk about it later, JP. All right, I'll roll it. 
So like with faces, <clears throat> for those of you who haven't seen it, Cast uh Seymour Cassell is only in technically half of the movie. Yeah. But all the He doesn't the Dan, show up but, until but, but, yeah. an hour and fifteen minutes into the picture. But the Dan Marley segment John he, Marley. John Marley, jeez. Oh jeez. Uh, John Marley. He worked on the crew for that for that part. He was just around for a lot of even when he wasn't in the movie, he was just around for it. Yeah, also. no, that he was, you know, shooting or, you know, picking up a camera. Which or is whatever. why I feel like I mean Steve Buscemi who you know, for those that don't know, he is a director. He's directed a few feature-length films and some television. Fuckloads of TV, uh, a lot of yeah. episodes of Sopranos. The best episode of The Sopranos yeah. is directed by Buscemi. The Pine Barrens. Is the and like with Wes Anderson, I feel away. like I mean this in a respectful way. I feel like to the generations after Cassavetes, you know, Seymour Cassell was kind of like this artifact to some degree that represented American indie right. film. And and his talent goes out saying he's also one of those like. Like like a George Kennedy or something. He's one of those quietly nominated for an Academy Award uh, uh, actors. A lot right. of people forget about that. Faces, he was, you know. Well, and it, since we jumped right into Faces, you know, that had always been a really hard movie for me. I actually watched it. Well, I think it's actually Cassavetti's easiest movie to watch. Oh, for me, it was I think hard. it's his most accessible. Uh -huh. And like in terms of like raw entertainment, I think it invites people in in ways that some of Cassavetti's movies yeah, keep I, people at arm's length. See, for me. A Woman Under the Influence is that movie. For me, really? A Woman Under the Influence is just... See, but I'm an intense... Like, I like to see really raw emotion. So well, My favorite story about A Woman Under the Influence is by Abel Ferrara, who went to see it. He was, of course, fascinated. He loved Cassavetes, but he went out to have a cigarette during the movie, and this guy came out. The theater was empty apart from a couple and Ferrara. Mm. And this guy walks up to Ferrara and he's like, he's like, do you like this piece of shit? And Ferrara's like, yeah, man, I think it's, you know, it's genius. And the guy goes, man... I deal with this shit all week long on the home front, and now I gotta pay money and listen to this shit in the movie theater. <laughs> like he was so right. bitter, that's awesome, and so not into it. Yeah, no, Woman Under the Influence really kicked kicked the door open for me in terms of my love for Cassavetes. The thing with Faces, and I think as I've gotten older, I've I've certainly appreciated the first half of that movie a lot more. Also, John Marley looks like. What John Cassavetes would have probably looked like had he lived. <laughs> but I thought of that All today. In fairness, as he seemed to like, John Marley seemed to get stuck on this one age for a while and didn't age. Like, right. in faces, he looks the same as he does in, in Godfather. And then in Love Story, yeah. It's the well, same Godfather's only a couple years later, but yeah. For, still, there's but just, maybe the it's famous, the black He's in the and famous white horse sequence Absolutely. in Godfather for yeah. people that don't know yeah. who we're talking about. But, yeah. Yeah, but he's incredible. But the thing with, 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 with Cassell and in terms of faces, after what? Well, so I, I watched it about a year ago and completely fell in love with it. And I think it was just only because I had gotten older and I under I understood the first half of it more and what was going on. I mean, Fred Draper, you know, in in, in faces, yeah. he annoys the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. Probably because of that moment in A Woman Under the Influence where Jenna makes him stand up. And she said, why don't you stand up for me? And he's like, well, I'm standing for you. And yeah. he quite doesn't get it. So whenever I see him, I'm like, wow, well, you're just an asshole. So here he is dancing around the living room with John Marley and faces. And I'm like, I just can't buy into this guy. This guy's real. Yeah. <laughs> really? But, but so an hour and 15 minutes into the movie, when... See when they're at the bar and we first see Seymour Cassell singing I and dancing, singing and dancing. I feel like the movie at that moment, it just comes to life. It yeah. comes to life for me. Well, yeah. Scorsese devotes a shitload of time to this particular movie in a personal journey through American movies yeah. with Martin Scorsese toward the end of the last segment. 
and he's just basically talking about like I think the line is uh, from a John, like on John Ford shoot where someone says what the hell are we going to shoot way out here in the desert and he said the most interesting thing of all the human face and in this movie you just have all these agonizing close ups when Seymour Cassell wakes up to find that this girl's basically tried to OD on pills and he's basically trying to keep her alive a little longer basically almost gonna slap her back into being alive again and it's some really gruesome intense drama but if you like down and dirty, low budget, black and white, character driven drama. Faces for me is as good as it gets. Like it's and at the top of the mountain. Oh, it's it. <laughs> and with that performance, it's it's great, but it's also weird. He's like, oh, so I'm gonna like, get you some coffee. And like, he's, yeah, he's really strange. For and and to be acknowledged, like, well, that's actually Faces got nominated for I think screenplay and, uh, and they, uh, they, as, well, as, as well. Same him, year as Rosemary's Him, <laughs> her. Oh, Lynn Carlin. Oh no, they get nominated. For... Robert Altman's former secretary. Yeah, never really. But um, yeah, but... but they all get nominated for the last half of the movie. Yeah, they don't exactly. get nominated for that's the first true. half. That's true. They get nominated for him finding her and him waking her up. I mean, that's some of the most incredible filmmaking yeah. ever. Yeah, period. End of story. And going back to that whole like mentor. If you watch before Faces and actually after. Like when John Cassavetes still had like certain like TV roles or like acting like films, you'll see Seymour Cassell in the background. Like there's a scene well, with the remake of The Killers with John Cassavetes and Ronald Reagan. Seymour mm-hmm. uh, Cassell is like one of the bartenders in the scene where like they get into the fight and he punches Ronald Reagan. Like Seymour Cassell is behind the you know so. So is Rosemary's Baby little, part of the know? financing for Faces? Definitely, he was. Yeah. At, at, he at once, or at least he he it helped pay bills. Yeah. After. He would do the Orson Welles routine where he would like act in four or five movies in order to pay for his financial failure. And was open about it <laughs> once. Once he did Shadows, he like got this. He got this directing bug, but he was an actor first, and then he made. It was funny. The thing, not to turn this on John Cassavetes episode, but he really thought he was this like accessible all American filmmaker. Like he really didn't get. Why Europe loved him so much, and like he thought he was on the same level as like a Kubrick like a or a Robert, 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 Robert Altman yeah. or or something like that, or Stanley Kripp. He really thought he was like one of those guys, and he just didn't get it. Which I love about him. It's like no, your movies are like intense and weird and hard to sit through, which is why I love yeah, them. Yeah, like watch Love Streams. It's so, like two like, hours you know, and thirty minutes of like just anguish. You're not watching Lethal Weapon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think Faces is extraordinary, and of all the Cassavetes films that I've seen, I think I've, there's one or two, like some of his uh, lesser known ones that I still need to see. But I'm always drawn back to Faces. I think maybe also his Jenna Rollins is just so astonishingly beautiful in it as well, mm-hmm. and she's Pregnant. not she's not acting like a crazy person the whole time. Like I, when Jenna Rollins in Love Streams is like buying animals and doing magic tricks, I I, I have a real I, I love her, but I hate the character, and so I have a hard time sitting through the antics because. Right. You tell Cassavetes is so in love with her and so enthralled by her talent and her ability. He's a little, he just lets the camera keep going and sometimes a little editorial, um, you know. Oh, it's famous. He hated to say cut. Everybody yeah, yeah. Says and that so I feel like, him. but that sometimes that is useful. But I yeah. feel like Jenna yeah. Rollins is absolutely on fire in faces. And I, I just think, yeah, faces is uh, as, as good as it gets when it comes to indie dramas in the late 60s. Yeah. Yeah. And it really changed, it really changed everything in terms of, of independent filmmaking. I mean, score. Not to go back to Marty, but Marty talks about, well, once he made Shadows and Faces. When does Marty make Who's That Knocking at My Door? Uh, 67. Okay, so, so he's before. making Who's That Well, he's making Who's That Knocking between 65 and 66 with the camera that he's getting from NYU. So, faces he's making is not it an on weekend. So. No, but Shadows is. Shadows definitely and, is. And also, like, 
French weird Euro, and Kenneth Anger Euro, yeah, and all de- those definitely. movies. And he, you know, Scorsese's big thing was, oh well, Cassavetes made shadows. Well, now there's no more excuse. Anybody could pick up a camera and go mm-hmm. out and make this thing. There's no more excuse. Up to that point, you know, movies were just relegated to their gatekeepers. Their gatekeepers in the Hollywood and the studio system. And it was also really around this time that you know, fifty eight, fifty nine. That the studio system and the, the idea of contract players started to fall apart. And it really didn't come to a screeching halt until Bonnie and Clyde came out. And when Hollywood was still trying to make, you know, like, you know, Julie Andrews and Star and these or, big kind of... paint their wagon and yeah. Right. They, they were still living in the Vince Benelli era and the Stanley Donnan era, but they didn't realize... No, we're now living in the Bonnie and Clyde era. And, yeah, yeah, we're now living in, you know, in in in, in the Altman era and in the Coppola era, the Peckinpah, you know, era. the Peckinpah era, where things, you know, there was a shift. There was yeah. a shift in the people, you know, and but you could see, but Cassavetes is the, you know, it's 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 the opening drum to like a Rolling Stone. Like that's what Shadows has Shadows became. Yeah. John Cassavetes has a continuing love affair with people. He finds them fascinating. Now he reaches into the crowd and picks a couple of rare originals. Seymour Moskowitz. Many more. Many and Moskowitz. It's that kind of a love story. Jenna Rollins is many. Get more aroused, more willing to give of myself. Seymour Cassell is Moskowitz. When I first looked at you, I, I said, that, there she is, that's the girl. The reviewers and critics just flipped. Comments, Time Magazine. One of 1971's 10 best pictures. One of the few movies in recent times that could be called joyous. You're nuts. You're absolutely nuts. From the Saturday Review, Minnie is the best made of the Cassavetes films. It is also the warmest. It's mainly being alone that, that makes me so irritated. From Newsweek, magnificent performances. Seymour Cassell is splendid. You've got a way of looking down on me, of thinking that you're better than they are. Actually, you're just a girl with good looks. Says New York's Q magazine. Jenna Rowland's extraordinarily appealing. I wish she'd make a million films. Let me see that face again. Seymour is not the right face. That's not the face I dreamed of. That you're not the guy I'm in love with. The New York Daily News. Four stars. A human, very funny comedy. You want to marry this bum? Go ahead and marry him. Get in the car. No! Get in the car. No! 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 Get in the car. No! And from Mademoiselle Magazine. It's a masterpiece of wackiness. No sense of you, absolutely none. Yeah, well, you're disgusting. You have something that belongs to me. No, listen, no, no. Cassavetti's people are screamingly funny. No, stop it! Painfully funny, achingly funny. I mean, it just happened, Minnie. I mean, it started and it just happened, I don't know. Don't you understand? It's not fair, Seymour, it just isn't fair. Says Newsday. Minnie and Moskowitz is the best American movie of 1971 because of what it is and what it represents. He was at, at Kevin's cookout uh, the other day. He was saying, "Yeah, 
It's a good time. The food was good too. Yeah, you no, know, the barbecue there—it's not bad. No, and no. I very, I very rarely say that about barbecue up north, but the barbecue there was not bad. I, we're, we're I would eat it again. Uh, Pig Beach. Yeah, Park Slope. But Kevin doesn't live there. No, no but he just wanted to no. host a little gathering yeah. of all of his Kevin Geeks Out's contributors, and yeah, it was like a yeah, who's no, who of film nerds. Me, but I was in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. But it's cool having Paul Murphy's back in town, and uh, he and Jeremy Workman were talking some uh, talking shop about documentaries and that sort of thing. And yeah. Chico Leo was going berserk because. He- they wanted his to see his ID on his way in, and he's fifty and didn't want to show it. And so he was. They didn't give him a mark for like for getting drinks. Oh, did that really happen? Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, that. I didn't so know he, that. but he <clears throat> just was. You know, anyway, he was having. Ch- it was a total shit show. Listen, Chico Leo posted the funniest thing I'd ever seen on Twitter when they were talking about the Irishman, and it was you know Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Harvey Keitel, and Joe Pesci, and he posted four different pictures of the Crypt Keeper and <laughs> it cracked me up oh, <laughs> it just killed me <laughs> their oldest dog shit but you know Pacino's still doing his thing and he still sounds like Pacino so yeah I mean how I mean De Niro's what 77 78 they're all in their late 70s Keitel yeah. just turned 80 that's crazy yeah I'm yeah. sure he's still fucking jacked as hell that guy's been muscular since he was fucking sperm cell yeah. the military does yeah. yeah but like you see him like in Mean Street you're like Jesus, you're yeah. fucking fit. And then, and then you see him in Bad Lieutenant. Even in Bad Lieutenant, like, yeah, he's still, he has like a belly, Buddha, but he has a six-pack yeah, though got, on top got, of the belly. He's got the Buddha belly, but with the muscles. Yeah. I, yeah. And, I, and I bet you he he probably just did that for the role because he was a drunk, he was a druggie or whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Like the uh, Jane Campion film, was it called Up in Smoke? Or, not, or just smoke. Holy Smoke. Holy, Holy Smoke. smoke. Yeah, because then there's Smoke, which is a fucking masterpiece. Was that the Wang the Wang, Wang, Wang movie, yeah. Paul Oster movie? Yeah, yeah. gotcha. So, not for nothing, blue in the face. The sequel is good too. It's it's it, heavily it's, sure. it's an improvised movie, so there's a lot of silliness to it. But yeah, but smoke is. Well, speaking yeah. of improvisation and silliness, we get yeah. a little bit of that in our next flick, Minnie and Moskowitz from 1971. John He's Cassavetes so once that. again. It's got Jenna Rollins and Seymour Cassell doing their thing. Who wants to go first on this flick? Because obviously now we're getting into a proper Seymour Cassell vehicle. Yeah, this was, um, yeah, everything about this. This is my, the older I get, this is like top three Cassavetes. And it's one of those things. I'm one of those guys <clears throat> growing up in my in my teens and early 20s. I learned about filmmakers like backwards. So whoever was like in then, I would look up. I mean, this makes a lot of sense knowing me. I would be like, who do they like? And Harmony Corinne. <clears throat> anytime I read a magazine, any he all in in the in the early 2000s and like late 90s, he always talked about, not just John Cassavetes, but Minnie and Moskowitz specifically. And I remember being, oh, I got to track this movie down. I got to track this movie down. And then my library in college had like a had like a shitty copy of it. But still, like I, I saw, I discovered. It's on YouTube, yeah. totally for free. Yeah. I discovered who John Cassavetes and all that stuff because my dad was a big Cassavetes fan. But Minnie and Moskowitz I discovered directly because of just reading anything I could on, on Harmony Corinne. And you get there's so many random ass moments in that movie. And for those listening, it's 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 also rare because it's it's like you know a love story. About like slightly older, not old people, but o- older people, and usually romantic things or people in their twenty, attractive people in their twenties and thirties. But this is like two people, you know, in in their mid forties, um, maybe no mid 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 forties, just kind of look lo- looking for love and just kind of the you know. And it's funny too because my female friends, I always it makes me think of Jenna Rollins in Minnie Moskowitz because when you talk to women about like tinder dates and stuff like that like oh tinder's the worst and it's like <laughs> it reminds me of jenna rollins because she's like she has a couple of dates in that movie well a couple of weird relationships in that movie and they're all kind of terrible and it always reminds me of you know this is pre-internet pre-tinder era but like the scene on the airport where like uh, john cassavetes 
not John Cassavetes. We're we're um we're around the plane. We're, we're oh his name's Seymour Seymour Moskowitz. <clears throat> there's a there's first of all, he goes to his mom played by John Cassavetes' real mom. He's like, Mom, I'm moving to California. The next cut is him on a plane going to California. With that just psycho stuff kind of like force that, feeder kid. Which is my favorite scene in that movie because the kid, one, she looks directly at the camera. Well, so does he. They both look at the camera, but they kept the scene in. But he's just like. Hey, you know Bugs Bunny? What's up, Doc? And she like forces her hand down his mouth and takes a carrot. Like little things like that are just like, or or before that when he's in the bar just looking to start a fight with those black guys and he's like, "Smoking Joe, come on, Smoking Joe!" And like he hits the guy and then he just runs away. Like that that, that movie, everything about that movie is great to me. Or just the line like, "I think about you so much sometimes I forget to go to the bathroom." Is like one of the greatest, weirdest, most loveliest things. Like I think you could say to a woman. Honestly, it's like you know. It's funny, yeah. on, on YouTube, the, if you typed in John Cassavetes or Mini Monsters or whatever, that scene would come up, and I, for the longest time, it said, A Touching Declaration of Love. Yeah, yes, I know exactly the video. I've yeah. sampled it for musical purposes in the past. The other, the other thing you talk about, him starting the fight... When he goes into the Irish pub and he has the, um, he throws the Irish accent on, and then the other Irish blokes come over and yeah, beat the yeah, shit out of yeah. him and throw him out of the bar. Yeah. Um, Timothy Carey, yeah, Kevin scene. Maher has to love this. I mean, Tim, Morgan Timothy Morgan. Carey shows up with like all this like spittle and slime on his chin. Yeah, he looks he fucking looks really disgusting. Gross in that and he's yeah, just like they're like of all the people you want to share your hot dog with, he'd be at the bottom of the list. But yeah. he's nice enough. Yeah, Seymour, he's always he shares everything with anyone. And, like yeah. he's. He, he's Totally flat broke, but whatever he's got in his pocket, he's happy to share with anyone he bumps into. That scene is also weird because he's in the middle of ordering, and the waitress just walks away in that scene. He's yeah. like, yeah, I want a hot dog, a, a coffee, coffee, and, coffee and, a and a beer. Which is a weird and, combo. <laughs> but then she's like, she just walks off. He's like, hey, I didn't finish to give him my order. Like, she's like, you really like want a coffee and a beer? He's like, like, yeah. And yeah. she just walks, she yeah. walks away. Yeah, she's listen, like, you're dead to me. <laughs> listen, I've been in places where I've, offered, where I've ordered an iced tea and a beer or a That's cocktail. Gross. Yeah, <laughs> so what? It's what I like. Hey, well, there's, man, a, there's a similar beer goes scene with in, sausage. Beer goes with like pretzels. Beer goes with like certain things. Goes with sausage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but but there, there's I'm that, a caffeine junkie. So what do you want from me? What's that scene in uh, Saturday Night Fever? He orders a beer and a hamburger. So that, that I always, no, I right. always thought, thought that scene was kind of yeah, similar. The, um, yeah. What was the uh, not the Hunger Artist? The 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 fucking movie about the making of the room. Oh, the you know, artist. The disaster artist. Yeah. Oh, the disaster pizza, artist. Pizza and mashed potatoes. Pizza and mashed potatoes. It's a fucking weird combo. Well, I'm gonna say this. For anybody listening knows their th- knows their their stuff about pizza and New Haven pizza. There's a bar, there's a restaurant in New Haven, Connecticut called Bar, and they make a mashed potato pizza. Oh, that is mashed potato off pizza? The f- charts, dude. How I does that you, even work? Listen, we'll have to go next time you're at Yale. Go okay. To, go to Bar and order a mashed potato pie. Uh, I swear to God, you will love it. I swear. Is it kind of like an English huh. thing? Like when you, I feel like they mix Mexican kind of like, yeah, yeah, with a lot of yeah, stuff. It's kind of like shepherd's pie without the meat, but in a pizza. Interesting. All right. They do a pizza I like mean, that in the Chicago. Brits, they make yeah. it work. So if yeah. it's some variation on that, I'm sure that yeah. You know, um, but I digress. But yeah. You know, we mentioned mentioned Timothy Carey. I think we should just, you know, take take a little detour and talk about Timothy Carey for Another a moment. Another Castle regular. Well, Kevin Mars obsessed yeah. and did yeah, a is. brilliant presentation but on his uh, his character actor presentation. World's Greatest Sinner. Yeah. World's Greatest Sinner. What yeah, a he great went off on it. movie. And how when he was doing um, Paths of Glory with Kubrick, he thought it'd be helpful to the movie if he were to arrange his own kidnapping while they're shooting the flick. So he got himself kidnapped and then he ended up getting himself fired from the movie because of all the chaos that he caused. And, you know, and it's funny because he's got a lot of like weird urban myths about him mm-hmm. and some some have been dispelled i can't stress this enough we're talking about john cassavetes so 
fortunately slash unfortunately, however you look at it, you got to Ray Carney's book, Casavetis on Casavetis. Ray which, I, Carney, which I gave away during that podcast we did with the folks who did the yeah. uh, the China China video game arcade documentary. Right, Ray Ray Carney's got his issues, but if you want to know like the detail, like you got to read Casavetis on Casavetis because for a while this is pre-internet, so like there was for a long time Timothy Carey got like small parts or didn't work for a minute because some some rumor went around that like he walked into this casting uh, room and the guy saw him got scared and ran out and that like totally didn't happen and I had the pleasure yeah, I didn't met, pass the smell test I met Timothy Carey's son in Anthology Film Archives he did this great documentary about his dad and I was asking him and I raised my hand and I was like so Ray Carney and then he and then Timothy Carey's son Mo he's like oh god like he did that to me and I was like no 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 I know I know I know but I'm sure a lot of that's and then like he at the Q&A Timothy Carey's son verified some of the crazy shit about him but also like he was just like no that that didn't happen and he was like oh no well that definitely happened no he liked to fart everywhere or just like the kidnap like he, the kidnapping thing that that definitely happened the whole story Should about he the have casting been in yeah. Dogs yeah. instead of Lawrence Tierney cuz he, he originally was going to be cast in that part and I didn't even know that yeah, oh, and, wow. and and, uh, and the screenplay of Reservoir Dogs was dedicated to a whole bunch of people and Tim Carey was one of the people that Quentin had dedicated it to no i i i, I can't see and he died see. right right after like i think he might have even died while they were shooting right after the whole after generation shot. of film fans knows Lawrence Tierney because of yeah. of that role i don't see like, cuz you're a fan yeah Lawrence Tierney <laughs> is that part like it, I think it would have been a little more eccentric. Like, we'll get into another scene where Cassell, you know, killing the Chinese bookie, where Timothy Carey has played, like, tough guy heavies. But Lawrence Tierney is that. He, he's, 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 that he's that character. Well, Timothy, you know, it's, I'm glad you went right to that because, to me, that's the Timothy Carey role. Like, when I see Timothy Carey that's the first, or think of him, that's the first thing I think of. And then it's Pats of Glory. And actually, when I watch Pats of Glory, which is in my top three Kubrick of all time, when I see Timothy Carey, I immediately go to Bookie and probably One-Eyed Jacks at this point. I think of... He's great in The Killing as well. I was, that's what I was going to say. Too. That's such a heartbreaking scene. Yeah. Because like, he has to be racist to the guy and he doesn't want, he want to be. He to just be, needs yeah. him to like just go away. Back off. Yeah. And that guy, like the actor whoever plays that, like his feelings are clearly hurt too. Like, yeah, I, I, that, that's such a great scene. For people who films lack emotion, they need to watch that scene. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, it's funny about the... Well, and even Pats of Glory too. I mean, those early films that came in under 90 minutes are tight, are yeah. tight, yeah, yeah, and and aren't cold. They're not cold films. Whereas Kubrick has been, you know, properly accused of being cold. I mean, 2001 is cold, but he didn't make. That was not the only. But that's movie part he of made. why I like. Yeah, that's yeah. part of that movie's mystique. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, part of it. You can't. Well, you be don't like 2001. You, you can't be mysterious. <laughs> For anyone confused, I do love that movie. It's just, but it's hard to be mysterious and abstract. There's this one guy I don't like. But it's hard to be mysterious and abstract and not be a little cold and yeah, exactly, distant and exactly. removed. Also, like Michael Haneke is one of my favorite. He's pretty, he's pretty goddamn cold to this day. Yeah, but there's something I mean, about the way that he does cold that is that's his style. That's, that, yeah. that's why, which is why I like that. Like some, you know, and some I also too think, cold uh, and it doesn't work. I also think the unemotional, which I hear so many people say, I think it's, I think cold is, I think people confuse coldness with like no emotion. Cause it's like, 
I can look at every goddamn movie. Tom Cruise eating up on the inside because his wife was thinking about another guy besides him. Like, I felt that. Like, oh, I, I don't... I don't see they're hot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah they <laughs> all the way pulls up. Yeah, all right, let me not get... Yeah, but um, yeah, that and, and like... And p- taking the panties off. Yeah, Woo! yes, yeah. So, hotty, hotty. I think a lot of people confuse coldness with... with well, getting back to Minnie Mouskowitz, yeah. I do have to give a shout out to a place that I've eaten at a million times. I've popped up in this movie many times. Mm-hmm. Pinks, Pinks on La Brea. For people who have yeah. not been to L.A., if you've ever been shit-faced in L.A. and you're looking for something to eat late night and you're in the West Hollywood or Hollywood area, there's a very good chance you're going to end up at Pink's. And people line up with their fucking limos like rock stars or sending in their assistants to get platters of hot dogs. Orson Welles for a long time had the record for how many 10-inch hot dogs yeah, he ate in one sitting. He ate like 36 10-inch hot dogs in one sitting. That's a lot of goddamn hot dogs. But this place pops up again and again. Gets a lot of love. So in terms of L.A. weird landmarks, I just uh, put a smile on my face seeing Pink's pop up so many times. And that's another thing, too. You brought, like, you know, for a minute, Casavetes was just, like, associated with, like, New York City. He's the New York guy. And it's, like, and that's such, like, a Los Angeles movie. But, like, a a local L.A. movie. And, again, not to jump ahead, but, uh, you know, he eventually became an L.A., you know, Love streams is is is. But so is but so is faces. In LA for a couple so decades, you become yeah. a creature of the city of the angels. Yeah. But but, yeah. So, but 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 faces, woman under your influence, opening night. I mean, yeah. they're they're all LA. Movies. I think shadows just made such a big impact, and then also husbands, which is probably my favorite Casavetes movie. And then Gloria. I mean, yeah, he Gloria really also. is kind of yeah. bi yeah, coastal. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. But it's that accent. It's the culture. Like you never lose like the cultural kind of vibe sure. or kind of essence. Like he doesn't he doesn't speak like an Angelino. No, absolutely not. But yeah. he's, uh, apparently he's from Baltimore and uh, Rosemary's Baby. It's like, oh, Baltimore's a good town. He does that little snap. But I've always yeah. loved that little Casavetes yeah. gesture yeah. that he does. What about a killing of a Chinese bookie? Any uh, special uh, comments or yeah, love or affection he, for that? That's one of those, like, um, like in Mike Lee films, like, oh, I forgot her name, but the star of Vera Drake. She oh, shows uh, up. Milda Staunton. She shows up in, like, two scenes in uh, another year. Which I always loved, or like, well, Claire Denise, the the queen of this, were just like the star of one of her movie would have just have like literally a, no, a non speaking cameo in like another movie, and that's kind of what this is. Which which I always feel like that's a cool bond between filmmakers, where it's just like, you know, or Harvey Keitel and, and you know Scorsese, like he was supposed to be the Albert Brooks part, which had way more scenes, way more meat, and you know, Keitel was like, no, I kind of want to be the pimp who's supposed to be a black character, and and that. It only has like Sworn two had scenes. Like one sentence in the original script. Like exactly. He's, he's like a little nothing character. Yeah, yeah. And this is, you know, they're, they're my one of my favorite moments in Chinese Bookie, which is at the end of the day, it, it's more about Ben Gazzara, another Casavetes regular. R.I.P. to him also. But there's a great scene where they're setting up to kill uh, Ben Gazzara and, you know, Seymour Cassell, all the other like kind of mid-level mob guys or like crime guys are all in this like Italian restaurant and he's Seymour Cassell's talking to Timothy Carey, and they're trying to save face because they're in a public place, and they're just like, uh, "Yeah, so just so you know," and because people are looking at them, and they have these smiles on their faces, but they're talking about how they have to kill this guy, and he has a great line, and he's just like, "Now nah, I got to give you something to cry about. You got to go kill Cosmo," and I mean, he starts laughing, and this like maniacal laugh. It's such a great Seymour Cassell moment, you know, in in in, in that movie. So, almost got remade. By Nick. Oh, you know about that. Well, it's yeah. such a great title. But then, but then Brett Ratner was almost going to remake it. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 but no, no, it's no. like, how do you not remake a movie with a title as good as that? So, I mean, you could almost just re- release the title and not the movie and yeah. it'd still do well. It's a killer name. Not not to be that guy, but not today. But anyway. Yeah, oh, no, well, well, and when that movie first came out, it played for a week here in New York 
and you know, and, and it's Cassavetti's follow-up to Woman Under the Influence. Played here for a week in New York and did so poorly that Cassavetti's pulled it and recut it and then released it three years later. Yeah. And the version that everybody kind of knows is the 78 version mm-hmm. as opposed to the 75 version. You could watch both of them. They're on the Criterion disc, and when mm-hmm. it was on Filmstruck, you could see them both. I'm not sure if it's on this new Criterion channel now. Um Seeing him, seeing Seymour in this, you know, it's 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 a different, it's a change of pace, and you know, you yeah. can see him play a heavy, you can see him play a gangster, and, and he's also not like the main guy; he's not like the center of focus in in well, that movie. Well, right, he has that he's one moment at the, in the end. Lot. Yeah, he has that one moment toward the end of the movie where he basically comes out and basically gives, you know, Cosmo like you know what really happened yeah. and what the plan was and how they were going to wind yeah. up taking him out. Um, I love. I love Bookie. I love, but I, I mean, when I think of Bookie, I close, again, I'll just, I just think of Timothy Carey. Yeah. I have a good Ben Gazzara story, though. I him, met, him eating, Timothy Carey eating spaghetti with the gloves on in that right. attempt was such a weird thing. But yeah, oh, I, I know this Ben Gazzara story. Yeah, you no, I met me Ben when, yeah. I, when I was first in, as a young man in the industry, and it was only a few years after really like, having my mind blown by Cassavetes, I met Ben Gazar at a party and I went up to him and I said to him, I said, listen, I'm just an enormous fan of yours. I go, I love husbands. I love bookie. I think you're great in opening night. And he looked at me and he goes, you got good taste, kid. And, away. <laughs> yeah. and it was the greatest he, he's thing. He's famous though in interviews. He famously has said multiple times that anytime some, it's like nine and a half times out of 10, it's Roadhouse when people come up to him. Right. So he's I pretty, know he loves to hear shit well, He's pretty like goddamn that, good you know? in Roadhouse as yeah. well. But yeah, he just come back from doing years of work in Italy and he comes back to remember, that was the first time I ever saw him on the big screen or right. small screen was on, was in Roadhouse. That was yeah. my introduction. And so I only knew him as like that guy and like Jackie Treehorn and Big Lebowski and like that sort of thing for, for years before I went back started seeing Husbands and these other movies. It's also scary like knowing... Saint Jack and uh, they all laughed and stuff like that. Or it's also Anatomy scary knowing that like he's let oh, he's so goddamn good. Vincent Gallo murder. himself yeah. has said that's pretty close to how his dad was, and I was like, "Oh Jesus!" That like, was dad knowing that, like, "Oh my God!" That was the first time I saw Ben Gazzara. I had heard Ben Gazzara. Not, not Roadhouse. No, Buffalo really? Sixty. I, oh, I never watched not, Roadhouse. Oh, as a, oh man, Ever? you didn't have no, TBS no, 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 or later. TNT. No, I just, <laughs> you know what? I never bought into the Patrick Swayze thing except for Ghost. Yeah, but Roadhouse, 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 Roadhouse transcends yeah. All irony aside, that's still a fun movie to watch. Really, really oh, and I've seen, no, listen, 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 listen. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen it a number of times since then. But it, it, no, no, no. For me, Ben Gazzara, The first time I ever saw Ben Gazzara was in was in Buffalo '66. I had heard the name earlier because when I was younger, I was. Al Pacino played uh, at the Stamford Palace Theater in like the early 90s, and he was doing two plays back-to-back. One of them was Salome, and the other one was Chinese Coffee, and which he turned both of them into movies. But Chinese Coffee, it was a... The movie of Salome's got Jessica Chastain, buck-ass naked. Yeah, no, or good flick. Lengthy uh, portions. Yeah. and um, But Chinese Coffee, the stage play was with Ben Gazzara. And so I remember always hearing, oh, well, Al Pacino was, you know, going to be... I was. I remember getting tickets to one of the two plays and it turned out not to be Chinese Coffee. It was actually seeing Al and Salome in full garb as Herod. But so that was always how I had heard Ben Gazzara's name. And it really wasn't until Buffalo 66 and Lebowski in the same year 
Oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think well, Buffalo yeah. 66 was 99 or 2000? No, it was 98. Oh, it was 98. Yeah. 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 yeah, no, it was the same year. So, it, But it really wasn't until I got into this Cassavetes thing where it was like, oh. Like he's, yeah. Could know. have been Jack Nicholson if, if, like, if he had zigged instead of zagged. <laughs> yeah, no, that's an interesting wow. comparison. Like in terms of like he should yeah. he deserved to be as big as Jack Nicholson in terms of raw talent. Well, right, yeah. and then it's funny though. Like I bet Rip Torn would say the same thing. Fuck yeah, no, I, I, you know Rip Torn. I'd, I'd be inclined to agree. Yeah, Rip Torn. Love Rip Torn. Rip Torn is just like I fucking blew Easy Rider. <laughs> he got to do Payday, which I think is a cooler flick. What's that? He got to do Payday. Yeah, Payday's fucking mm. incredible. Yeah, but it didn't do for him what Easy Rider I don't think did. It did anything for anyone, but for anyone out there who wants to see. Maybe the wildest, darkest redneck movie ever made. Payday is in the mix. (laughs) (laughs) Payday is something special. They played it at the Virginia Film Festival in my third year in college, and Rip Torn introduced it. And he was so pissed because he was told they were going to empty out the theater from the previous screening, and everybody had to come back in. And they asked him if he could make the pitch for convincing people to come back in. He goes, "Ah, I quit. I quit. He was was so pissed off. But he was up there and he started like kind of while he was speaking, he was grinding his film program between his hands and kind of the paper was like kind of becoming shredded. He just was so gnarly, so surly and so bitter. Yeah. But then this movie started and we just started screaming with laughter. It's one of the most outrageous, kick-ass country western movies ever made. Maybe the, it was maybe the number one. So anyway, Rip Torn, he made pay a day. And for that, I will always thank him. Right. You know, it's wild to, to think that he was married to uh, Geraldine Page. Yeah. Forever. Like. And imagine being caught in the middle of that. Here you are, you blue easy rider. <laughs> you don't have the Jack Nicholson career. And then on the other hand, you're married to, at that time, probably the greatest living actress. Well, he got to get in a fist fight with Norma Mailer, which is pretty cool. That was a hammer fight. <laughs> that wasn't <laughs> so just a James fist Tobac fight. Tried to too. murder him with a hammer. <laughs> James yeah. Toback fought Norman Mailer too. Yeah, that's one of the weirdest YouTube videos I've ever seen. But it's well, well, we're talking now. But I, I had to do it, baby. Yeah, I, I, don't do wanna, it. I, I don't want to lose uh, track of Seymour Cassell and all yeah. this kind because we're bringing up a lot of interesting guys, all of whom deserve their own episode. So let's talk a little love stream. Horseshit. Okay, that's good. Good horseshit. All right. Okay. Where's Sam? Good God, <laughs> good God, Sammy. Good God, Sammy. Okay, that's it. Gentlemen. That is a rat. Whoa. Whoa. Thank you very much. No, I don't think a person can live without a philosophy. What is philosophy? Philos, in Greek, means friend or love. Love and friend are synonymous. And uh, the study is, uh, any afi is the study of, so it's the study of love. And... And uh, to have a philosophy is to, to know how to love and to know where to put it. Because you can't put it everywhere. You walk around, you've got to be a, a minister or a priest saying, yes, my son, or yes, my daughter, bless you. But people don't live that way. They, they live uh, with anger and hostility and problems and uh, lack of money, uh, lack of, you know, tremendous disappointments in their life. Uh, they're... So what they need is a philosophy. What I think what everybody needs is a, is a way to say, where and how can I love? Can I be in love so that I can live? So that I can live with some degree of peace, you know? And I, I guess every picture we've ever done has been in a way to try to find some kind of philosophy uh, for the characters in the film, you know? And so that's why I have a need 
to uh, for the characters to really analyze love, discuss it, kill it, uh, destroy it, hurt each other, do all that stuff in, in that in that war, in that word polemic and picture polemic of uh, of what life is. And the rest of the stuff really doesn't interest me, you know. It may interest other people, but I, you know, I have one track mind. That's all I'm interested in is love. Obviously, he, John Cassavetes has the bigger part, but Seymour Cassell has a, uh, you know, an important part in this. And man, as a child of divorce, watching this early discussion where they're basically trying to, they, they, it seems like they're within a, a hair's breadth of signing the papers and having an, an amicable separa separation. And Jenna Rollins just starts going crazy and renegotiating, saying, oh, well, we want to go to New York because we're cheerful. Yeah. And, and we love funerals. Yeah, and sick yeah. people find us interesting to be around. It's like, you're completely coming unglued yeah. right before I was like, what the fuck and is going on here? That's a great scene, too, because the daughter finally speaks up. She's like, no, I hate doing all this shit. Yeah. She's like, yeah. Well, the second scene. Yeah, the second divorce meeting. Right, 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 and the daughter's right. like, I, do, I, I want to stay with dad. I hate anything and everything to do with visiting dead and dying people. And I was like, you're the coolest little girl when of all time. When did you decide they smell? That's a great line that uh, <laughs> General <laughs> says. Yeah, General, she's just coming unwound, unspooled yeah. the uh, the entire flick. And that's another, And the other, I, I think we've gone this far that we've been mentioning, you know, to a lot of people, and I get it, Seymour Cassell is technically considered a character actor. And this is another movie where he kind of played his part like he does, there's no really standout, he hit you know, performances. Yeah. He's just like he's there to do what he's supposed to do. He's the divorced husband. He's the stable one of of the relationship. But um, there's nothing outstanding. But I don't mean that as as an insult. It's just I go back to I'll, well, he has a little moment not, where he's not, like doing like the Broadway show tune at the end, where he kind of spins around and goes crazy sure, for a little sure, while. Sure, sure, so he gets sure. to kind of cut loose there sure. for a bit. But I love it. Sure. Jenna Rollins wakes up from a dream and thinks she's had this like epiphany with her husband and with her husband and daughter. And he's John Cassavetes is like. Did you call him or did you dream it? Because even he knows yeah, yeah, right, that yeah. it's all yeah. all in her fucking head. Yeah. Well, I've always I've always looked at Love Streams as a culmination of everything that Cassavetes had done up to that point. And he you know, and I think that he probably did too. He, you know, he thought that he had only had, you know, a few months left to live while he was making that movie, he wound up living a few years longer. Yeah, like cirrhosis of the liver. Yeah. Or... yeah. Well, and he wound up making big trouble, which oh, yeah. You know, a, a lot of scenes in that movie, his jacket's covered up so you cannot see his belly. But if you look, you don't have to look that hard. You you you, you can see the like well, and, you know, and if you look distended, at distended belly, yeah. You and if you it. look at the documentary that they made about or, or, while they were making that movie, and it's also yeah, I'm the almost clip, not crazy. yeah. And the they also use that clip in the Scorsese doc, A Personal Journey with Martin Scorsese through American movies. His stomach is really distended, yeah. so he was. You know, oh, when he's he, talking about love, he's like, I don't yes. like breaking it and analyzing right. it. Right, yeah, right. Like, that's all from those that movies doc. are about love. Yeah. That's from that doc, but when you do see him, yeah, no, his stomach is, is you know, yeah. he, he is dying. Is but, this the most sophisticated movie that Gorman Globus ever produced? Yes. I was just, oh, I was going to get to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, Famously, the guys from Canon Films, the guys who made, like, Enter the Ninja, Return of the Ninja, Ninja 3, The Domination, Breaking yeah. 1 and 2. Yeah. These Missing guys in Action also, 1 yeah, and 2. These guys, and they also did Over the Top and yeah. Superman 4. These guys also produced Love Streams. <laughs> and they stayed out of his way. Like, they they were they were totally willing to be in business with him and let him do well, what's what he wanted to do. about them that was on Netflix? Boogaloo. That, that was a great documentary. Hell yeah. I would... Mark Hartley, he also Googling. did uh, Not Quite Hollywood. Yeah. In, in, in Googling and looking stuff up, because I think it was maybe like a couple years before, they had started going to Cannes prior to working with Cassavetes, 
And in the there's a segment of the documentary where like they talk about oh they like being looking you know legit and being at con was a big deal to them. So I think you know at wearing those tracksuits ahead. But exactly by eighty, <laughs> Casavetes was like considered a master. He's one of those, so the 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 chance to work with him probably just oh like we can well, be well it's like when Roger Corman know. started distributing Kurosawa and Bergman movies in the 70s sure, like sure. whoa you're the guy yeah. who did It Conquered the World and now you're distributing Bergman movies yeah, yeah. so yeah a little touch of class for yeah. the production yeah, yeah. company well and you also gotta wonder how much of that money was tied into the fact that John Voight was originally supposed to play the John Cassavetes role and then backed out at the last minute because they also find it correct me if I'm wrong they also gave the money for Runaway Train too Oh, I didn't, I didn't Weren't know. that wasn't Runaway Train Canon movie too? I don't know. They, I no, well, well, they made like ten thousand fucking movies, so it's hard to keep track. Well, but right. They made more movies probably than any other producers who ever lived, and we know we remember like one percent of them. No, right. But getting back to like Lombada, they made two Lombada. I remember movies. that trailer. <laughs> um, but getting back to what I was what I was saying before about this being a culmination of of mm-hmm. of, of everything that that Cassavetes had done up to that point. You know, we return to many of the themes that he had explored throughout his previous work. And when you look at the way that Seymour built his character in this film with the mustache and the way that his hair was combed and everything, it's almost like... An old Moskowitz. Exactly. It's almost like an elderly Moskowitz who who is finally like, oh, well, Minnie really turned out to be a little bit more crazier than I thought that she was. but. but this character in Love Streams is also very much a, a mixture of Minnie and Mabel. And yeah, she feels more a woman under the influence and less Minnie, for, at least right. for me. But, I mean, but again, getting back to just how Seymour built that character, that mustache is unmistakable. Yeah, as, especially because he yeah. cuts it off in such dramatic fashion and uh, Minnie and Moskowitz. Yeah. <laughs> right, and then you see it. And that was, also, that was also an interesting choice when I went back to revisit it recently in preparation for this. We're like, yeah, he shaves his mustache, but then you see it growing back, and then you see it at the end of the picture, you know, back fully formed. And obviously, with the tricks of movie making, we know that obviously certain things were shot out of sequence. Yeah, yeah. But the way that that was all presented in, you know, it's just one that of the That scene, great though, with the mothers over the dinner table, Minnie and Moskowitz, when the mothers basically talk about how little ambition he has and, like, why would a girl who's not pregnant, who's attractive, why would she even consider marrying this guy who's going nowhere, nowhere. with his life? <laughs> and it's like, thanks, Mom. Like, Listen, I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you, John Cassavetes' mom is my favorite, like, movie mom. That and, you know, Woman Under the Influence. She's so good in both those movies. Yeah. And I think that had to influence Scorsese you know, for having his mom in, like, Mean Streets and Goodfellas and, and stuff like well, that. Well, and, and remember, I mean, Cassavetes was Scorsese's mentor. Yes. You know, Scorsese, you know, he's we the one had Mean Streets took, if took it him to task for making Boxcar Birthday. He's yeah, like, he hey, you wasted a year of your life making a piece of shit. Yeah. Cassavetes employed Scorsese as, like, supervising sound editor on Minnie and Moskowitz just to give the kid a paycheck. Yeah. When, you know, and... Apparently he's the best Scorsese's balls about cocaine as well. And everybody's like, all right, you're kind of the best kind of like the pot calling the kettle black because Cassavetes drank like a fucking fish every goddamn day. And died from it. Yeah. And yeah. So but the coke almost killed Marty. Yeah. He, well, in Easy Rider of Raging Bulls, they talked about how while he was at con when he started bleeding out of every orifice of his body because he was essentially bleeding internally everywhere. <laughs> like he could no longer, he had like, no platelets left in his blood. Yeah, no, he, he almost he just, died. He just had cocaine oh. <laughs> running through every oh vein. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, he almost died. He's lucky 
He was like shooting New York, New York during the day and editing Last Waltz at night and just doing cocaine every time he had an opportunity to do so. Yeah, no, he's lucky he even made yeah. Raging Bull. Yeah. He he came, he got out of that and then put all that into making Raging Bull. It's quite interesting. Absolutely. You know what we got? We got a dog that can read your mind. You're kidding me, right? New York, New York. If I could take living there, I could take living anywhere. I get $100 for this, right? Only problem is I'm broke. You know, before you put us in the movie, Mr. Hollywood, you know, where's the rent? What was I going to do? I had sold everything. What else could I sell? I got a phone call from a guy named Joe. So how much do you need for this movie? No last name. Just Joe. So we're going to make a motion picture. I decided I want art to be an important part of my life. Angelica. You could be the star of my movie. Such beauty and grace. You're happy to see me because your face brightens when I come around. You finished? Medium shot of an intense, mysterious, dark-haired woman. And she is an angel. Literally. Joe. This is where it all comes comes together now, okay? Joe had this way of making people feel important. I love it. I really did. I love it. On the surface, he didn't look like a producer type. You strip this down, and in 20 minutes, you got enough money to buy a lot of film. If he's a friend of yours, then how come you're breaking in? I don't want these drugs in my house. No, I don't either. Ooh, drugs are so bad. But instead of making my movie, I was living in his. I know you're tearing yourself up about this kid, but I promise you, I'm going to make that movie. Could it be this guy Joe was what I was looking for? Ha ha. So that's Angelica. Let's get some champagne and go home. He feels her presence. Her massive beauty. It's, you know what I mean? He just feels it. Go for Huh? What page you on? Uh, four. Starring the Academy Award nominee Seymour Cassell. Four? Yeah. Jennifer Beals. And who says I want to be in a movie? And Steve Buscemi. Oh, this this isn't going to be just any movie. It's 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 going to be good. They're in the soup. The award-winning new comedy from Alexander Rockwell. I may be out of my mind, but I want to be in business. In the soup, you know. Hence principles, you know. Watch out for those. All right. Well, let's dig into yeah. the kind of like second or third act of Seymour Cassell's career, where. Obviously, in America in the 90s was a really exciting time for independent film where you had this new generation of guys like Steve Buscemi and Alexander Rockwell who intensely admired the whole Cassavetes movement and really took a page from their book. And the fact that Cassell pops up in so many of these movies, I think it just shows how he, and a lot of, as, as Kato mentioned, he's kind of like an apostle from that earlier era. Yeah. And they recognize, well, shit, this is kind of like a direct link. And it reminds me a little bit, Marcus, when you talk about how like someone like Nicholas Ray, how he would have like acolytes and admirers like Jim Jarmusch, who would then like employ Nicholas Ray actors and people like, like how you have these yeah. these family trees, and you can kind of trace these lineages from certain performers and certain filmmakers, and they just kind of keep the family dynasty going for generations at a time. Yeah. And I feel like Seymour Cassell, you're, we're seeing a similar phenomenon at play here with the movies uh, in the soup. Trees Lounge, say, and then it, the Wes Anderson films. In, in the soup is kind of what kicked it off because that's what got. 
Buscemi and Cassell together. Also, in the soup has some cool cameos from like Carol Kane and Jim Jarmusch. It's a weird thing where like in the soup, Treesland and The Sopranos have all these like similar actors and performers, and it's like it's the New York thing. isn't it Georgianne Walken though too? I mean, is she the casting director on all three? Yeah, and but I just love, but I just love how I mean, I know she is on Trees Lounge. Well, I I much prefer Trees Lounge, but like half the cast of Trees Lounge comes directly from in, in the soup but yeah. let's talk about in the soup first because that comes chronologically yeah. first 1992 Alexander Rockwell in the early 90s giant of independent film, film but people don't even talk about him he's one of the directors no. on Four Rooms but when Four Rooms came out he was one of the big shots like Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino yeah. but uh, man you talk to like younger younger film fans now they haven't even heard of Alexander oh, Rockwell and, oh or my Four gosh. Rooms um, no, that's what you're saying. Probably well, yeah. maybe deserving yeah. of a little obscurity. <laughs> Allison, Andrew, <laughs> and Allison Anders also. I yeah. got a good, but you, you know what's interesting though? Those guys, that was like Tarantino's way of like trying to bring his boy. Like, well, Robert Rodriguez didn't need it at the time, but like Tarantino and Allison Anders are like good buddies. They're all good friends. You know, yeah. so he was kind of trying to, you know, bring them up. But no, I mean, in the soup is another kind of. Actually, in terms of award-wise, it's kind of standout because he, I think, got the was, grand jury it, award. It, it was at Sundance. In, Sundance, and also I think he was like an Independent Spirit Award for for his role as this kind of like mysterious guy who just suddenly, you know, see, you know. So for those of us in, in the soup, Steve Buscemi is this aspiring, pretentious, terrible uh, filmmaker, and he puts an ad in the paper. He needs like producers. He needs the financers, and Seymour Cassell answers the ad. But it turns out Seymour Cassell has his fingers in a lot of illegal things and but but yeah he's a hustler but he they, backs up his bullshit with a lot yeah. of actual hustling and they do f- exactly and and they form a real friendship yeah um so and through that and it's a great movie by the way i do have to there's this one much diminished without seymour cassell like his charm and his mania oh, and his dancing yeah. and his humor and his like kissing on the mouth like just all of his antics like if you if you Take out Seymour Cassell, put in any other actor of a yeah. similar age. I think that movie would be greatly. He's diminished. like nonstop. He's always on yeah. in that movie, which makes the end. I'm not. I don't want to spoil anything, but it makes the ending of In the Soup that more special because he's kind of winding down at the end. Like he's more calm and he's like, you know, he's not as crazy as he was for like 95 of that movie. But he has a sober, shows, calm you know, moment early in the movie, which I think every independent filmmaker needs to listen to. Where Steve Buscemi's reading him a script, and the script is like 500 page monstrosity, yeah. and Cassell's yeah. dying and he's struggling. He's struggling to stay awake, and he's like, page "Look, four. yeah, he's like, kid, like, I really want to make your movie, but you know, you can't name drop and talk down to your audience because Steve Buscemi's character really wants to be like a Renoir. He really wants to be a Tarkovsky, yeah, he, and he's like, you know, names. don't look down on your audience. Don't name drop. Tell a simple story that we can understand, that we can appreciate, and I think that lack of pretension." Is something a lot of filmmakers would benefit from. He also even says later on, he's like, "There's nothing wrong with saying I love you. It just matters. How, it's just how, how you pull it off, which yeah. is true. It's like, um, yeah, damn, yeah, that's a great. Yeah, Lionel Richie's been did a forty years of songs saying I yeah. love you. Like, <laughs> there's a great <laughs> scene. There's a great scene when they first meet in in the soup. And he has the money, and Seymour Cassell's fucking with him. He's like, "Go oh, on, take the money." And when Steve Buscemi goes to reach for the money, he pretends to like reach for his gun. Like yeah. that's such like a quick little moment. And that's like, a really good. Topless chick to kiss who him just on the kisses mat. him. Yeah, who just <laughs> kisses like, him. Right, yeah. That's a producer you want to work with. That's another Will Patton. Uh, He's before he turned into Robert Duvall. Oh, um, speaking of Will Patton, <laughs> last night I had the weirdest Will Patton experience. Um, oh. I, I'm pretty excited about this movie, Doctor Sleep, coming out in November. So I got the hardcover. You can see uh, it up yeah, on my yeah. wall. But I decided, you know, like, fuck it. I'm going to listen to the audiobook just as a way of kind of following 
falling asleep. Because sometimes I like audio fiction while I'm falling asleep. So I downloaded Doctor Sleep, read by Will Patton, and this shit was so fucking scary as read by Will Patton oh. that it was keeping my ass up. And I was like, All right, oh. I gotta stop this. I, gotta, yeah, I wanted yeah, to yeah. kind of just drift away listening to this you know, monotonous voice. But Will Patton was just putting his all into it, making it terrifying. So I'm gonna continue wow. listening to it. But Will Patton, damn good reader of audio fiction. Nice, yeah. but also very good in, in the suit. Yeah. yeah and then that kicks and that jumped off you know i'm not gonna say it gave him like a seymour cassell renaissance because he was always he was if you look at his imdb he quietly has one of those like michael madsen yeah. type not 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 as dense as michael madsen 13 credits but a lot and then you know then after you know years later still but then we you know steve buscemi he's this known guy he's been in a bunch of stuff he directs trees lounge which i love the fact that i don't know about anyone listening but when i was uh i guess my third my junior year in college that was one of those like 4.99 walmart movies it was like that uh true stories suicide kings um like star 80 it was like it was like the same movies and i remember just buying all of them in one sitting one random night at walmart and like just i had never even heard of trees lounge and i watched i was like oh this is great and Seymour Cassell has two scenes in that movie. There's like one substantial scene, and there's one flashback scene that we see through, you know, like through, through yeah. VHS. And he, again, he just steals the show in both of them. He's he's almost the same person as he is, you know, in 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 in, in the soup. Um, Kata, thoughts yeah. on in the soup? My big uh, connection to in the soup is is really a, a New York connection. When right. I worked at Focus Features, which was on, which was their office was at 65 Bleecker Street. On Bleecker and Broadway. I had an interview there when I first moved here, but then they yeah. were sh- like shedding eighty percent of their workforce. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I was there. I was there during the. the fun I was period. there between Lost in Translation and Brokeback Mountain. So it was like Lost in Translation, Sylvia, the thing about Sylvia Plath, Twenty One Grams, Eternal oh, Sunshine of the Spotless the Mind, Salad Days. Yeah, no, those were those were the the days. They were A twenty four before. Yeah, they were A twenty four. Yeah. They it's were like true. the they, new they did have that thing when they came up. It's like, oh, or this, you could this say they were the new October films, which is well, October, and, October and, films. Well, and it yeah. was, oh but, but it was because Focus <laughs> yeah. derived. They put out Lost Highway. Hell yeah! Focus derived from USA. And the uh, Restore Touch of Evil. Yeah. Focus had derived from USA Films, which had derived from October. Films. Yeah, they bought October. Yeah. So there was there was that whole that whole connection. So you're right. It was like October Films, yeah. The Apostle. Anyway. Um, but across the street from the office at Focus was Two Boots, the pizzeria. And it was, I think it's one of the first I know Two exactly Boots. exactly where you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And inside Two Boots, the one movie poster that they had in there was of In the Soup. Oh, no way. So that was always, it was weird, like working in the film industry, being across the street, going to lunch every day or whenever I was there, and going in there and seeing that poster. And it always kind of made me feel... New Yorky and comfortable and kind of cool. Well, early so. '90s New York indie filmmaking was just the best. You had Hal Hartley and all these Jim Jarmusch and all these guys just doing some of the best work of their career. Yeah. In terms of like you know you could talk about Paris in the early '60s or Italy in the early '50s or you know Germany in the, like the early '20s. New York in the early '90s was fucking awesome and yeah, experiencing a giant goddamn renaissance. Yeah. And even like the big guys like Abel Ferrar were doing like extraordinary stuff like King of New York. Like it just. Yep. Yeah, it's a very rich vein of sensationally cool flicks. Yeah. Also co-starring Steve Buscemi. Hell yeah. Yeah, he's a, he, Steve Buscemi, like, 
carved a trench through like yeah, this entire did. period working like in fucking reservoir dogs and like the Miller's Crossing. Like he was between like the Barton big Fink. dogs. I mean, he's working. Well, Cohen. He's, he's, he's Cohen regular. He's just, but he's all over the place from the the micro budget to the macro budget. Steve Buscemi in the early 90s was just everywhere. Yeah, and I think, it, and I loved him in the early 90s, but I didn't appreciate just how many pies he had his fingers in at that time. I realized, I, I was never not a fan. I always loved Steve Buscemi like anyone. But it was, I guess you could say, late in the game. Ghost World to this day, it, like in terms of like performances, it's that's, funny it, as that's hell. in my all time yeah, favorite. I was like, it's just like, you hate sports. <laughs> yeah, just everything, like everything irritated. I mean, you know, a lot of that, the, the Terry Zwigoff connection, I mean, a lot of that is obviously connected to Robert Crumb. I mean, there's that scene in Crumb where he's like, he's hearing the rap music playing and he's like, God, every everything nowadays is so aggressive and fucking motherfucking bitch and he's like well, that, that's such a uh, uh, a Seymour oh yeah his name is Seymour in Ghost World uh, a Seymour moment yeah, but, but, yeah. Also, but even like in like Boardwalk Empire when he's getting it on with the Paz de la Huerta and she's like oh cowboy he's like knock off that cowboy shit like he's like yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. he still, still got it years yeah, later yeah, yeah. he has such a range I mean to see him do stuff like you know, in the soup to Reservoir Dogs to Billy Madison to Big Daddy to oh, Broadwalk so Empire great. Billy to Madison. Ghost World. Do up, do me, do me up. Yeah. Airheads. <laughs> Man, am I glad Airheads. I called that guy. Airheads is great. I, I saw him so for like five seconds at the New York premiere of Hateful Eight, and he was walking the, the lobby at the Ziegfeld was you know super small, so everybody had to come mm-hmm. through there. But just this tiny little shriveled up, gray haired, wrinkly dude. But it's like. That's a fucking god. That's Steve yeah. motherfucking yeah, Buscemi. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah. So, but, and, so you guys like Trees Lounge? Do me a favor and tell me your name again. It's Christine. It's not Christine. But it sounds like Christine. Look into my... Crystal! Now I got it embezzled in my head. You're killing me. Oh, you're making me blush. You're only 14? 17, stupid. When are you gonna be 18? Why, you gonna ask me out? I might, I'm a free man now. You're an old man now. Told you you weren't gonna like it out here. Six months, you and Marie be at each other's throats. Now it's been what? Half of that? I told you. You never said nothing to me. I shouldn't have had to tell you. I have to admit, the only reason I ever went out with Teresa to begin with was so I could be close to you. Oh, stop it. Sorry, Jim. That's all right, you two wanna go upstairs? Go ahead. Jerry. It was a joke. He made a joke, so I made a joke. Yeah, but his joke was funny. Could have been somebody. Instead of an ice cream man, which is what I am, let's face it. Was that Jerry Lewis? Jerry Lewis? You thought that was Jerry Lewis? Hey, Bill, did did you ever kill anybody? George, yeah. Haven't seen you since the wedding. Yeah, the wedding, yeah. He wasn't at our wedding, George. What is wrong with him? One bourbon, one scotch, and one bill. One bourbon, one scotch, and one bill. Hey, Mr. Bartender. You trying to corrupt my daughter or what? Oh, them's fighting words. Nothing happened. Baby, she's gone, she been gone tonight I ain't seen the baby I swear to God, nothing happened One bourbon Wanna sit down? Yeah, okay, okay If I win, I get to take you home If you win, you go home with me What kind of deal is that, huh? I don't 
know. That, that don't make sense it's to me. It's a good deal. It's a good deal for me. One bourbon. One One bill. I love Trees Lounge. I think Trees Lounge is a wildly underrated indie movie of the 90s. I, maybe it's, I've got like a, a thing for like, if you have a th- even a slight interest in Italian women, this movie's full of like the mm-hmm. sexiest Italian women oh, you've ever fucking seen. That's true. They are all over the place. You're like, God, oh, God, God, God damn. And I was, yeah. but, you know, young Chloe Sevigny's really smoking hot in this as well. But it's even, so you know, funny and it has no plot. And it's just. Yeah. I used to have, a, when I was a kid, I used to have a thing for Mimi Rogers. Like even oh, like yeah. back in the day, she was like an early like milf crush i guess you without would, a you, doubt you'd, you'd call it but that's another movie with all the like new york like even um you know esther from stranger than paradise yeah well, a lot of people didn't realize that was her for, you know she she shows up in that it's like the 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 one of the two women that well, he tries to hook up with is one of the girls that carvey harvey Keitel harasses at yeah, the, yeah, yeah. and the girl that stops like, it is what's her name from silence of the lambs who's a, i always bump into her in new york city um Puts the lotion in the back. Oh, what is her name? But anyway, her. The one from, she's on Grey's, isn't she? Yeah, 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 her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's got so many future Sopranos veterans in there. But yeah, Seymour Cassell, he's driving an ice cream truck, which is one of Steve Buscemi's early jobs. He used to drive an ice oh, cream truck. Oh, I didn't even know that. I didn't in know real that. life. But I love it. It's just like a nondescript bar, an unidentified town. You assume it's probably Long Island or Queens or something like that. But they never really called yeah, attention to where thought- it is. But it's a real yeah. bar, and I think at one point Steve Buscemi even like tried to buy the the original location, but it was only able to get the sign. Yeah. But you just get a sense like an entire town, like their lives for generations, have all revolved around this this one. It's not even that nice of a bar. It's like it's got a, a pretty cool jukebox and a bunch of fucking like rummies and lushes yeah. who are in the yeah. same seats every day. But that's like it's a real bar. Yeah. It's, it's not like a trendy bar. It's not a cool bar. It's just one of those places where people go there to get fucked up beyond description for days on end. I always thought like myself, same. It was like either Long Island, New Jersey, super deep Queens, like one of those places. I always thought that myself. They never actually. I don't think they go into it. I think what you can project onto it, but it's. I mean, obviously, it's New England. Like you're not gonna say, "Oh, that's Georgia." Like no, it's not that. Like it yeah. feels close to New York because obviously, if the scenes with Samuel L. Jackson laughing about how, like you know, he's like, "I knew you were gonna fucking hate it." Like you know, yeah. <laughs> moving, yeah. moving out here because yeah. some people right. like the city and some people like the suburbs. Right. But you get the sense that the city is close by. They just never quite specify yeah. where. Yeah. Anyway, Samuel L. Obviously, this is, this is. I guess when is 1996? Pulp yeah. Fiction had come out. But he must have shot it earlier because you, you don't get the sense that, oh, that's Samuel L. Oh, no, it came out because it was in 94, 95. Yeah, the Pulp Fiction is 25 years ago. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It had, okay, sorry, sorry. I misheard you. But, yeah, yeah. but, he, but here, here you have Samuel L. Like, you, post Pulp Fiction, he went from doing these like cool little bit parts in like, Spike Lee movies and Scorsese movies to suddenly being this giant fucking mega yeah. superstar. Yeah. Like, he wouldn't still be doing small indies like Trees Lounge. He's kind of known. I mean, maybe not. I mean, I guess the Marvel stuff takes up a lot of your time. Even into the 2000s, like... Showing up in like, I mean, he had already worked with Casey Lemons on Eve's Bayou, but that movie, that uh, Caveman's Valentine, that like nobody saw, like he starred in that movie. This was like 2001 or something like that. He was the man and starred in this like tiny movie. It's like him and Anthony Michael Hall and like nobody, you know. So well, and Samuel L. Jackson was in Heart Eight too, and that's. 96 he probably shot that in 95 he had probably but it's also it's a lead role and you could tell from that script this guy i mean obviously it's pre-booking nights but anyone reading that script is going to recognize this guy's going somewhere right and speaking of screenplays couldn't keep getting off of seymour cassell he had an attitude this time that if he liked the script even if there's not a single dollar attached to it he would show up like he just if he's in a script and he liked it 
he was in. That's awesome. And it's, he's in for a penny, in for a pound. Like you mentioned, like he liked to help carry the gear. He liked to help out with the crew. Like when you hear about like Bill Murray on the set of Rushmore throwing down a check for seventy five thousand dollars in order to get a helicopter shot that Wes Anderson really wanted, but the budget could not afford. Yeah. Like there are certain actors where you feel like, oh, they're not there to be a prima donna. They're not there to cause problems. Like Mickey Rourke, when you bring him on, you're bringing on problems and you're bringing on right. obstacles and you're bringing on all these unpredictable variables it seems like when you bring on Seymour Cassell you're bringing on a great ally he's going to make your movie more fun to shoot all yeah. across the board and to, you know speaking of that I, I mean if I could quickly transition to, to what we brought up Rushmore it just reminded me like even at that age you know he was still older now and like going from Cassavetes films to like In the Soup Trees Lounge, stuff like that. It's not that far of a jump. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But, like, you know, more like super tight, you know, centered, <laughs> center it, you know, type movies like <laughs> Wes Anderson. It's cool seeing Seymour Cassell show up in that. It still showed his range, like, even later in, in you know, in, 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 in his career. He has, I mean, going to Rushmore, he's one of my favorite scenes ever, you know, at the end when he's like, you know, this play, it's dedicated to my mother. And the way Seymour Cassell looks up and just kind of, and then like he looks down for a second. Like that's a really great, like touching moment. I, I love when Bill Murray comes to get a haircut. When like <laughs> Bill Murray comes oh, yeah, in, yeah, he's just a yeah, fucking mess. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, I mean, he says like, oh, so-and-so is my father's name. My name is such and such. But Seymour Cassell, he's just, it's such a warm role. And even like when Max brings him a report card and it's like all D's and he's yeah, like drawing on it. <laughs> Changes the three to an eight. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so goddamn funny. So yeah, he just, uh, he... I mean, there's a lot of great talent. I mean, Brian Cox is obviously incredible in that, and Bill Murray just completely steals the show. But Steve Marcusell definitely stands out. He's he. he um, I mean, I would say of all the people in there, Jason Schwartzman might be one of the least interesting actors in that movie, considering <laughs> the people they surrounded with. I think I actually liked Jason Schwartzman. I think he's kind of a yeah, weenie in that flick. I he's yeah. I don't know. Just it's his look. first time out though. No so. man, when this is just like. Uh, when the guy just hangs up on it's like, oh, come on. That was rude. Little things like that are very, Those are, like, those are funny uh, bits, without a doubt. Yeah. But then, and then, like, in Royal Tenenbaums, that was the first movie that got me to realize that, like, Wes Anderson does a lot of, like, background, like, there's a lot of shit going on. Not exactly Robert Altman type, but there's a lot of shit like, oh, that's going on in the background, and that kind of ties into this scene, you know, that, like, ha happened before. Like, throughout the movie, every once in a while, you'll see one of Ben Stiller's little mice uh, show up in present day, and that's kind of the role that Seymour Cassell plays. Like, he doesn't really have a lot of lines at first, but, it's a but great then he shows bit up as the fake when he doctor. When he shows up as a doctor, and yeah. like, is well, he that's a the best joke yeah. of the whole and movie. And Luke Wilson's like, yeah. yes, he is. He's like, well, that's the best chance he's got. Yeah. And, it, and, like, and like his beeper goes off, and it's like, can you pull it? Like, someone says, exactly. can you pull Smitty, a double? Can you pull a double? Yeah, yeah. it's a great yeah. bit. And then Danny Gover, is that a tic tac when he's looking at the, uh, yeah. the medicine? Yeah. Um, and that, that, I mean, uh, Royal Tenenbaums, I think now, I think people like to make fun of Wes Anderson, but I think all you have to do is just rewatch Royal Tenenbaums. Like, Oh, this is a really fucking. Well, for me, fun the first movie. few from Bottle it's the Rocket first three. through. Okay, I'll even say fine. I was gonna, I was gonna, you know, Life Aquatic. I love Life Aquatic. I just think Life Aquatic. Something changed. Yeah, after. it's called Noah Bombach. I don't. Yeah, have Noah Bombach is okay. a different. No, and, 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 Owen Wilson co-wrote the first, co the first three, and then you get Life Aquatic, and then you get Darjeeling Limited, which I think oh. is the most nauseatingly <sighs> pretentious pile of dog shit of the 21st century. Yeah. It might as well be an Isle yeah. Perry movie. I fucking hate that movie. Yeah, you're kind of right. Yeah, and it, but Fantastic Mr. Fox brought me back into the yeah, fold. Yeah, same. I'm, I'm same exactly. Yeah. yeah, Moonrise Kingdom is great. Shout out to Jared. He's a regular on our, on, on, on our Absolutely. podcast. But um, what was I gonna say? And then you know um. His role in Royal Tenenbaums is so similar to in Life Aquatic. I'm talking about Seymour uh, Cassell. He's this like very few lines, but 
he's like the driving force in Life Aquatic. The whole point, he's trying to get revenge. Bill Murray, on this yeah, shark. you see that scene where Bill Murray like kisses him on the bald head, yeah. like you can tell they're yeah. buddies. But yeah, he lost yeah. his best friend to this exotic Esteban. shark. Yes. Yeah, and he's like, you know, he's like, well, I won't kill it, but I am gonna fight it. Like, yeah. <laughs> but even yeah. at the end of, but even at the end of Royal Tenenbaums, after you know the accident has happened and everybody's kind of coming to like you know their denouement, you know, and you see the the camera, you know. Pan over to Seymour Corsell and he's looking at at uh, whose eye is it? Is it Richie Tannenbaum's yeah. eye? And he goes, "Minor corneal damage. Come yeah. back in a week yeah. Yeah. if it's pressed to the other if eye. If it's pressed to the other yeah. eye, like." Yeah. Oh my God! You're just a doorman. Like, yeah, yeah. it's no, hysterical. A great, it's a great, a great little bit. But once again, it's just it's great little bit of seasoning and flavor to a movie that's already very uh, kind of over, almost overstuffed with so many extraordinary actors. I mean, what just having Gene Hackman and Angelica Houston in there, like, all right, the richest, the Bruce pretty rich as it is, and they just keep piling in all these astonishing character actors. No. I would, I wish that Wes and Owen would write another movie together, and I wish that Luke Wilson. Would show up, and I think that's that's the combo too. When at any time, say what you want. I, I, I like no, 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 Life Aquatic, right. but any time Luke Wilson well. is in any smaller big part, it's a, it's a winner. And I'm and not just West Luke Wilson in general. I'm just a big fan of his. I mean, take Blue Streak to kind of like right. people don't want to admit it, but he steals the show from Martin Lawrence. Right, and then and anybody who can do that is is pretty amazing. But I just think I, I maybe there's some. Personal, or maybe not. Maybe they just don't. You know, it just hasn't happened yet. But I think Luke Wilson needs to collaborate with. Uh, you know, these are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? Yeah, no. Like yeah. he yeah. sets that yeah. joke yeah. up. Yeah. Well, I imagine for whoever to knock it out of the when park. When he's around yeah. the Wilson brothers, I imagine there's a oh, certain yeah. type of humor that they enjoy together. Where if you try to put on airs or try to get too pretentious, they're like, "I'm just gonna call, call you Don't out." Don't you on think? It. Take away. Well, first of all, this is a huge chunk. Take away the whole like India fetishization that Wes Anderson has. I always wanted Darjeeling Limited wow. to be the three Anderson brothers with a different story. But them three together, like Owen, that would have been awesome to me. I don't know. Maybe yeah, I'm just, just he, I don't know. I think when you see that scene with Future Man making fun of Owen Wilson looking like a little banana, yeah, like yeah, that yeah. is probably yeah. the humor that they had as kids growing up. Like you get the sense yeah, oh, this is, this is exactly. how they hung out yeah. growing up. And I think yeah. when he's around those guys, he he comes back down to earth because obviously Wes Anderson's a very creative guy. Yeah. He's enjoyed tremendous success, but he's like a little balloon floating up into the sky. And every once in a while, you gotta gotta pull that balloon back True. down a little bit. And again, all three Wilson brothers are in all three first movies in slightly different roles of varying you know no, sizes. You're right, they're but, involved. You know, or had something to do. And also a little funny thing: Owen Wilson is uh, is uh, Edward. Uh, App, App, Edward App, Albee, Appleby, you or Appleby, yeah. yeah, he's in. The, you wouldn't, you can't see it's out of focus, but he, they went so far in details. Like Owen Wilson took a picture as Edward Appleby, and he's in. He's like in Mrs. Cross's. Also, room, that script but. was written before Wes Anderson started becoming successful. After I mean, obviously, Bottle Rocket was not a runaway success, yeah. but Rushmore was already written before they even shot Bottle Rocket. Mm -hmm. So it, was, it comes from those early formative yeah. years. But I think. He had his comeuppance. He realized he'd gone too far, and then he came back. And yeah, Roald Dahl was one of their big influences on Rushmore. And I think going back to Roald Dahl for Fantastic Mr. Fox had a very grounding influence I on agree. Wes Anderson. I agree. Yeah, no, no. Fantastic Mr. Fox is a return to form for him. Absolutely. Without question. And Without question. Bottle Rocket also got any kind of notoriety because a little blurb, Martin Scorsese coming full circle, happened to see it. And was like gushing about how much she loved uh, Balrog, and that's really how it got its like first major, yeah. you know. That was a cult classic in my circle of friends in college, long before ba uh, Rushmore, Rushmore came, came out. out. Me too. And the VHS was kind of flaring. The first time I saw it, I was like, 
why are people free? I, I was so fucked up the first time I saw it. I couldn't even begin to appreciate it. But I was like, why are people losing their minds over this? And then Rushmore came out. And I was like, whoa, that was re- really cool. And I went back and watched it again. I was like, oh, okay. I, you can see all the DNA. You can see all the potential. Yeah. And yeah, Rush, Bottle Rocket is just so much goddamn fun. It's like, I mean, I bought the gun. I mean, that whole I bought the gun scene. It's like, it yeah. just it makes I me shit my pants. I can't focus on The gun is on the table. Um, and it's from, you know, uh, with, with the exception backyard, of maybe... Backyard, uh, right now! <laughs> I know, yeah. Backyard, this is my house. Yeah, so I can quote that movie forever. Don't even get me started. Um, but, I you know, it's funny. Life Aquatic, going with the Wes Anderson, going back to see Marcusell, I think that was, what, his second to last, like, major role? Probably last major, because I was going to consider Lonesome Jim, uh, Steve Buscemi, the last feature film he directed. Um, Seymour Cassell plays, uh, you know, Casey Affleck's dad, you know, in that movie. I think that was the last, like... That was the last movie I saw Seymour Cassell like on the big screen, like in 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 in, in a theater. I mean, Lonesome Jim as a movie. I mean, it's fine, whatever. But, um, yeah, it's like they had Buscemi and, and Cassell had this like long-standing working career together. I mean, we jumped over Animal Factory, but you know, whatever. And I think it, you know, it says something to guys like I mean, Harvey Keitel is another one. De Niro is another one where you have like. If you're an actor and you're like a regular of various directors, I think that says something like that. That says can you imagine how much fun it must have been for Buscemi doing those scenes and in the soup where your favorite movie is Faces, the guy who basically helps Faces do right, what it is. Right, right, right. You're lying on the floor with him, acting like a complete maniac, saying yeah. the craziest shit, like kissing yeah. you in the face. Like I'm amazed Steve Buscemi's even able to stay in character in the scenes. Like I'm right. sure he was just like wanting to like laugh hysterically the yeah. entire time, but somehow yeah. he able was able to stay on. Yeah. Someone told me something recently. We're not gonna not gonna mention who, but because <laughs> like, I can't. But they said to me, you know, when you work, drink, drink that, finish that scotch, well, no, and then tell the story. But they said they said when you know when you're in this position and you're working with one of your heroes and you're at that moment, you are the producer, you are the actor. They are just your peer, and you have to put yourself in that mindset in order to make it work. Otherwise, it's not going to work. You can't go into the room and be like, "Oh my God, you're Seymour Cassell, and you're in my favorite movie." No, you have to be in there, and you got to go, and you got to be ready to work. You now, and that's a mindset. Then you could gush after, and then you could have that mutual admiration society or whatever. But really, you know, these guys all—you know—it's a focus. It's also, a focus. chances are, if you work with somebody long enough, even if they are your hero. Because people are people, they're eventually going to say or do something that really annoys you, and that it will help bring them back down to earth. And oh, yeah. they're just they're just yeah, yeah, they're, sure. they're 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 a person who works in the film industry like yeah. anybody else, yeah. and they've got their personality flaws, and so you the illusion gets dispelled a little yep. bit. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> it sure does. Yeah, well, I think it happened with Wes Anderson a little bit with Gene Hackman when he wrote the part for him, and Gene Hackman. Made it very, was like, no, made nobody very, writes roles for me. Yeah, I made don't it take very, those very roles. difficult for him. So much so that like Bill Murray started coming in on days where he wasn't scheduled to shoot just to kind of act as a buffer, just to kind of protect Wes Anderson a little bit and Angelica Houston the same way because they're like, this poor kid's just getting eviscerated because Gene Hackman just being a mean, gnarly old bastard and just abusing him on the set. And they're like, mm. He's, this is a great movie. Like, chill. Like, stop, stop tearing this poor kid apart because I think Gene Hackman just... What a reason! Just felt like tearing him a new one, right? Just because he could, <laughs> and ended up directing him in one of his greatest performances ever. Yeah, maybe the. I mean, I love Gene Hackman in many movies, but Royal Tenenbaum is the role of the millennium for yeah. him. It's just, it's yeah. such yeah. a great part. And then his, and then he only makes a few more movies after, and his last movie winds up being Welcome to Mooseport. Oh yeah, yeah right. not as good as Royal Tenenbaum. Not as yeah. good as Royal I mean that Tenenbaum. scene with him and Danny Glover when he calls him Coltrane. Coltrane. Yeah, dude. That I mean, oh, it's the funniest. I mean, once again, Wes Anderson has not been funny like that 
in a very long That's time. True. He's been cool sure. and quirky and weird and interesting, yeah. but he hasn't made me scream with laughter in a very, yeah. very long time. But Wes also hasn't been nearly as touching as he is in the final moments of that movie. I mean, when when Chaz witnesses his father's death in the back of the it's ambulance. Like, I've had a rough year, Dad. Yeah. Well, not <laughs> yeah. even that. When, oh, yeah, when yeah, he yeah, dies. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. You He's know, got the, uh, the mask. Yeah. I mean, that is just one of the most touching moments of of yeah. all of their and you got the careers. great Alex Baldwin voiceover describing everything and then of course you, you see the what's been carved on his gravestone at the end it's like yeah. he dies yeah. to his family to that thinking battleship Morrison tune <laughs> yeah. yeah no it's, it's Wes Anderson firing on all cylinders and I know a lot of people like to defend some of his other movies but I think Royal Tenenbaums is probably the peak yeah, yeah it's definitely the peak yeah. without a doubt but, it, but it's really the first three it, it, it's funny how these artists it's a hot streak yeah. yeah it's funny how certain artists have you know certain core you know, whether it's movies or albums or, or books that, you know, for Rolling Stones, it's those four albums from Beggar's Banquet, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, and Exile on Main Street. That's a good streak. You know, for, for you know, for Springsteen, it might be the first four albums. For, you know, for Wes Anderson, it's the first three movies. You know, it's, you know. And I happens. see all of his movies. I mean, I enjoyed Isle of Dogs. I enjoyed. I enjoyed uh, Isle of Dogs, yeah. too. And, uh, Budapest was fine. Well, Ray Fiennes was so fucking good in Budapest Hotel, Grand Budapest Hotel, no, sure. that it made the movie worth watching just for that just for that performance. He's, he's up there doing what Gene Hackman did in Royal Tenenbaum. Yeah. It happens not to be as strong of a movie. Right, 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 right. Well, any final words on Seymour Cassell? Mr. Penn, since you kind of made the pitch to get the sucker underway, what is, what is the legacy of Seymour Cassell? Uh, just indie, well... American movie legend, honestly. Like, it sounds super cliche, but, it, you know. And, you know, through my relationship with Lelia Goldoni, who, shout out to her, she's a, another day one uh, John Cassavetes person. You know, I interviewed her from my site years ago. You should check that out on my site. And then, you know, the first time I met her, I was just like, hey, are you in touch? I just happened, I just had to, I was like, are you in touch with Seymour Cassell? And she was saying, this was 2013. She was just like, um, yeah, he's still, you know, he's 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 not doing very well, blah, 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 but he's still, and then at any time she would take me to dinner, I'd take her to dinner. I would sometimes ask, like, hey, is, how's he doing? She's like, he's he's not doing too well. And she, and I'm I'm already from, I'm not someone who, I, I don't like to pry. And the way she had said it, I was like, I'll just, I'll leave it alone. But it seems like, you know, for a good six years almost he wasn't you know he wasn't doing too well so um we didn't see him got, for a long time no no we didn't and, and and if you did like any of the 2014 2015 movies were kind of just like movies that were like filmed a while ago and got and got released but um no he's just he's a legend and and i remembered you know we did that michael parks ep- episode with bill sage and i kind of wanted to do you know a similar you know uh, a tribute a similar tribute yeah there and he's you know and so it's it's interesting in this you know he's to some degree a movie he was in is what kind of linked me and you know and rob uh together and yeah oh i did you know i also want to say one what thing was the too, movie that y'all uh, thought about when y'all first became buddies oh it wasn't it was my own private idaho yeah. i was like because up to that <laughs> point thought it was pretentious everything we like it was we, we started to fight it wasn't just cast of it wasn't even a fight it was every, no it wasn't he, but it became a fight like 15 20 years later when on he the brought podcast it up. you're yeah. like wait well, yeah, i got up kind of a score to settle here and you, yeah because yeah. you just walked out you were just like nah, yeah we were it was just like we were batting a thousand i was like oh hey my own private idaho is coming on criterion like, oh, i hate that movie it's pretentious as <laughs> all hell and you just walked out of the store i was like oh damn what the fuck like the friendship but, uh, is over yeah right but, no um, we've we, he he's yeah. he's remained one of my best friends yeah, it's yeah. funny and that well it's funny that's a good i you know you can you can edit this part if you want i do want to say you know for those listening guys so like i've known rob for almost 15 years 
guys like Chris and John and the Pink Smoke I've known for almost the same amount of time. But these names, you know, James, yourself, Scurry, you know, you guys both showed up to my mom's funeral. That was very, you know, you guys will forever be, you know. And all the aforementioned names, they were at my mom's funeral also, but you and Scurry showing up. And, you know, I'll keep the details to myself, but we also talked about Bill Tech. He wrote me, like, almost a small book of 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 an worth you know of, of an email when my mother passed so that you know for those listeners out there these are you know the it's a cool circle it's a, of friends. It's, it's a very cool yeah. circle of friends yeah that meant a lot you know to around that time and what's fun so. is that as time goes by we keep kind of like you know finding new uh new members it's like it's like it's exactly. a loose affiliation of film lovers and some people hang out more often than others but it's this fun seeing it's kind of this nebulous organization. It's not no organization, but like a nebulous, loose-knit group of people that kind of yeah. hang out with each other, both online and in the flesh. And it's a privilege to be in y'all's company. And just to show, well, just for example, this previous episode on Underground, the guest of your show is the officiant of my wedding. So, was, you know, Leanne is like, that's how close Leanne and I are. It's not, so for certain people, it's not just internet Twitter stuff. You know what I'm saying? So it's, uh, yeah. Well, still, 20, 30 years from now yeah. when we all have our, either our own acolytes or our kids in like different generations, it'll right. be fun for them, for the, the next generation of film fans to be like, oh, well, this is like a, a little circle and you can see all the little tributaries exactly. leading to other yeah. generations sure. as well. Sure, sure. We'll, have our, we'll make our own, leave our own fingerprints sure. in our own little way. But Mishikado, any final words on Cassell or just on our, how cool our circle of friends is? Well, you know what? I, I'm 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 incredibly thankful for Marcus and I have been for for a very long time. He he has he has definitely got me out of my shell in a way and has made me more social. You've and never it's also me created as shy. On it, but, well, but I, I, listen, well, he I, was always protested. He always says like I'm not getting on Twitter. He used to always say that, and now he's like he's on Twitter. Yeah, I'm on yeah. Twitter. You Showing know? dick pics and all that stuff. Yeah. No, well, <laughs> <laughs> Um. So, as Anthony Weiner once famously said, or yeah. they quoted on a New York uh, New York Post, it's not my Weiner. Like, yeah. the, you know, anyway. Carlos Danger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I I'm incredibly thankful for for all of you, and 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 it's great. Um. And so far as is, and so far as Seymour Cassell, you know, I just I just. As great of as great as his performances are and his presence in movies, you know it really just comes back to him being a film worker for me, in a way, and how there was never any air, never any pretension that he was there for the better good of the picture. And I think that more filmmakers, more actors should really um, take a, take a lesson in that, uh, because at the end of the day, it's really more about the greater good of the picture. It's not about the greater good of the performance. You know, or or your own personal performance about giving and taking f- t- between the actor, the director, the rest of your crew, and I think that he's a perfect um, emulation of of what it means to work in this business, or in the, not even this business, in this art. You know, the business is just a whole other thing of itself that. Some people are fortunate enough to be involved in, and other people are lucky enough to not be involved in. So, um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm very glad that we got you know this opportunity to talk about about him specifically and his role also, it in kind the of became Cassavetes an unofficial Cassavetti slash Wes Anderson episode, neither yeah. of whom have really been covered in depth on the podcast. So, yeah. oh, well, you know, and, yeah. and, and it's an interesting talk about both of them. And it's an interesting piece of trivia. A couple things about Seymour Cassell. One, I believe. That the seats that Jack Nicholson and Lou Adler sit in uh, at the Staples Center in L.A. 
were the same were were originally held by John Cassavetes and Seymour Cassell before Jack oh, wow. took them over. Ah. That was something that I had heard. But Cassavetes had those seats before Nicholson. Now Nicholson wow. has had those has had those seats like forty five years for forty five <laughs> years. And actually, I don't know if does he still go. Yeah, he still not as much. But he, if you're gonna see, I, I'm if, understanding now is he likes to sit in the hammock and read books. Yeah, well, I mean, he doesn't have to do anything. Yeah. I mean, he's earned it. But like when, he's Louis, C. K., he actually, when Louis C.K. was trying to get him to pl- do Horace and Pete, he said, you know what I did the other day? I sat in my hammock and I read a book, which is basically his way of saying I'm enjoying life however much I've lived. Yeah. So, and just side note about Jack Nicholson and his basketball love, you know that he's the inspiration for Cheech and Chong's Basketball Jones, right? I did not know that. Yeah, so oh, the Cheech oh. and Chong were on their way to a Lakers game with Lou Adler and Jack Nicholson and they were stuck in traffic and Jack drove on the other side of the road to get to the Staples Center or wherever the Lakers played in yeah, he's a the hoops, 70s. Hoops freak. And Cheech was in the back seat going, Basketball Jones! I got a basketball Jones! And that's how that song <laughs> came to fruition and George Harrison plays on that. Um, wow. All right, anything I want to promote, plug, social media, projects, etc. before we draw this to a close? Uh, just go to, go to Pinland Empire, listen to Zebras in America. Um, yeah. And and I need followers on Twitter. When will we see a rough <laughs> assembly of the secret project that cannot be discussed? I'm gonna have to talk to Bill Tech about that. He has he has such ambition. I mean, according to him, we're gonna have a, a rough cut by the end of the summer, but I doubt it. But this is <laughs> just because we have there's there's so we have an enormous cast of characters in this piece, but I, there's a few key cast of characters that are missing from the piece at the moment. And I think until we have that... They're big pieces of the jigsaw. They're big pieces of the jigsaw. And there's also decent pieces to the jigsaw that need to you know, be worked out. You got to get your Seymour Cassells in there. You gotta, exactly. But, yep. I'm gonna, but I tell you to all our wrong real listeners, this is, an, this is going to be an incredible follow-up to Bill's wonderful documentary, One Day Since Yesterday, Peter Bogdanovich and the Lost American Film. This is going to... To surpass that, and this is going to bring Bill out into such an incre- to another level, and I'm just so happy to be a part of that and to be learning from him. And I have you, James, and Marcus to thank for that introduction. Couldn't have done it without you guys. Well, on that sincere note, I don't think we can do any better, so I'm going to bring the sucker in for a sweet landing. But coming up, we got Adam and Becky coming back for a little Star Trek. Got David Lambert coming back to talk about Jesse James and all the movies about that famous outlaw. We've done Billy the Kid. We've done Wyatt Earp. Now it's time to do Jesse James. Uh, what else do we have in the calendar? Not quite sure, so I'm just going to leave it ambiguous beyond that. But you can always find me on Twitter at Colbrex. You can see my big, bald, shiny, pale head talking on YouTube, Geek with James Hancock. I'm almost at 15,000 subscribers, so definitely subscribe if you've not already done so. At Rob Cotto. That's me. You can find yeah, Mr. Cotto at Rob Cotto on Twitter. Let's Sorry. Get, let's get him to it. No, the first 1,000 is the hardest to get. Once you get to 1,000, the rest come a yeah. little easier. Well, it's been yes. real difficult. We've got, got to post more shit. Post clips and pics. Clips yeah, and so pics. It was as weird as it sounds, the hashtag. Yeah, but I get too. More, yeah, yeah. I get too angry, dude. I got. I, Who are I, you talking to? Come on, on Twitter. <laughs> oh man, that's I live for that. I don't I'm know. so petty. I, well, well, I gotta I'm say so one. Petty. Either the, enjoy the, it and fight him and have a good time. That's that's where it was fifty fifty with or, me. Or see, you know, if they're driving crazy, yeah. or get into the spirit of things and start playing. Yeah. You know what? I'm torn yeah. between this duality because on this end, between Marcus and, and James, you guys are telling me. 
be mean, be angry, be whatever. Not exactly. No, just well, be no you. someone starts, be you. Be if but, someone, but, if, no, but, don't ever start anything. No, I don't start anything. Like, you know. No, but like the other day, I kind of got upset at the Film Society in Lincoln Center because I wasn't invited to the Dylan premiere because I'm a member and I just think that like Spike Lee was there. Why Spike Lee at the Martin But who's premiere? that guy who had the meltdown recently because he wasn't invited to the opening day of that stupid Star Wars park? And he's like this famous YouTube oh, personality, no, but he went fucking no. berserk. And he he works, he's the talent on a show. And you said he wasn't going to talk about Star Wars anymore. And his producer got on and was like, "Well, this is my show, asshole. And we've got a lot of Star Wars stuff to cover. <laughs> so you're going to talk about Star Wars whether you like it or not." Yeah, anyway, right, it was, right. anyway, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's he's been Schmoes oh, no, but now he's uh, he's parted with his partner in crime. And anyway, either it was way, very, e- a very funny meltdown. Either way, you guys are like, <laughs> be there, be bold, and blah 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 blah. And Bill, on the other hand, is going, "You got to be cool, Robbie." You know, well, he's he had, a jujitsu guy. He's yeah, all about going like, with the flow. He's like, Listen, man, you're gonna work in this business. You can't talk bad about people. <laughs> he's like, that is true. He's that like, is he's true. like, I know how you feel about Alex Ross Perry, but you know what? I met him. He likes Boggy. Seems to be cool. Just don't, <laughs> just don't. And I'm like, but Bill, it's fucking. He manned me in this video store. He ruined the video store for me forever. He's like, Robbie. He's like, I guarantee you, <laughs> just, just kill him with kindness. It's gonna be all right. So. I don't know. I'm caught between being like angry, angry and Kato and be yourself, but, but be the best version of yourself. But once again, in jujitsu, you are, have to be like Bruce Lee. Like you have to be like water before you actually. But then again, you also learn how to break guys' fucking arms and legs and choke people out. So jujitsu is not all about touchy feely. Like, yeah. You're sweet until you're not sweet. That's true. Yeah, it's like that, fucking that. Roadhouse. All roads lead back to Roadhouse. <laughs> you, I want you to be nice until it's time to not be nice. Yeah. So, anyway, hope you all enjoyed this show. Please subscribe. Give us a shout on Twitter uh, at WrongReal. But more importantly, as always, onwards and upwards. Ain't like it used to be, but uh, it'll do. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. <laughs>